Content returns in just one week's time. But until we get to Moon Knight, we have all your top news from all three universes that you love. A discourse about legendary actors we want to see make the leap into Marvel, DC, and Star Wars. And finally, a list of our most anticipated MCU things of 2022. It's the Direct Podcast, episode 82. Let's get busy. Truth is, we need new heroes. Thanks for the lesson. This is the way. In my culture, I am a Jedi. I am birthed with glorious purpose. We're all villains here. Not us united. I'm a superhero! Welcome inside the Direct Podcast, episode 82. I am your host, the content machine, Liam Crowley, joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, the fist of Remke, Matt Remke. Matt, not going to ask you how you're doing. i got a question on my mind this week, and I want to get your input do you think Doctor Strange is pro daylight savings? Um, I think Doctor Strange stays out of matters so small. You know what I mean? He's got bigger things to deal with, like protecting your reality, douchebag. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> um, I uh, uh, probably right. You know, like it's an American institution, daylight savings times. It really is. But also, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on that whole situation. <laughs> I saw the thing that like it's being like removed and I was yeah. enraged because I was like, what do you mean? It's it's how we've always lived. And then I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, then again, who who would they answer to? Like the government changing time regulations. Who Who is above them? The TVA? Doctor Strange? Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Arizona's been doing it for years. That's something that nobody talks about is that Arizona has not had daylight savings times for decades. That's just so wild to me. I know. Like, and here, and, and, and here's the craziest thing. And this is very niche, but anybody who lives in Indiana knows this. There is a sliver of Indiana on the Northeast corner. That is in a different time zone. Like you can be driving in Indiana and then cross a County line. And now you're in central time. So the daylight savings thing really messes up Indiana people a lot. And it's even more confusing for the people who live in one time zone and work in another. Because exactly. that's actually a thing. 100%. I saw that on some Nat Geo TV show. They did a mini documentary on it years and years ago. Oh, yeah. Who knows? Timelines are confusing. Scheduling is confusing. But we're here to clear up the confusion for you here on the Direct Podcast because we have a scheduling update. That's right. Moon Knight next week means things are going to get shaken up here on the direct podcast for the better the moon Knight primer is live right now so before we check out episode one next wednesday all together be sure to check into our pre-show previewing everything going on within the world of mark specter stephen grant and so many more but beyond that we have some bonus content coming with moon Knight season we are going to be doing moon Knight pre-shows live on twitter spaces every tuesday at 8 p.m eastern standard time those will begin next tuesday march 29th where we're going to preview the premiere episode it'll be myself it'll be matt it'll be some writers from the direct and maybe a special guest here and there they're going to be a lot of fun 20 to 30 minutes nothing too crazy but we wanted to bring something else to this moon night season matt we've been starving for content over here it's been a little minute it's been a minute since the mcu has been (laughs) active it's been three months which is crazy and we Mm -hmm. wanted to celebrate so we're going to be doing those pre-shows over on Twitter Spaces. And one more thing, the direct podcast, get your U-Hauls out, get the moving trucks out. We're moving back to Wednesdays for Moon Knight. That's right. Moon Knight reviews are going to make sure they get out as quick as possible. So we will be bringing you our weekly episodes 
of the Direct Podcast every single Wednesday, starting next Wednesday, March 30th, for the next six weeks, and probably until Kenobi, and then probably for Miss Marvel. And it looks like we're going to be on Wednesdays for the foreseeable future. Matt, hump day. How are we feeling? I'm loving it. We're back on Wednesdays. Uh, you know, it's been great doing this on Fridays. So don't get me wrong. I missed it a lot. But um, Wednesdays means that uh, Disney Plus has content coming out. And that's really exciting. It's so crazy to think about. We've been starving for content. We've had two huge shows over the past two months in Book of Boba Fett and Peacemaker that we, I think, you know, we both at points loved each of those shows in certain moments. You know what I mean? So like, we've been eating really good, but the big leagues are coming back. This is like, you know, you spend the whole summer watching football and you spend your whole summer watching Olympic soccer and you're really excited and all that. But then NFL season starts coming around and then you start really getting that buzz in the air. You know, the, 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 the red brand is back and I cannot wait for just so damn much of it, Liam. We are going to be nonstop as soon as Moon Knight starts. We are going to be nonstop. Like you said, after Moon Knight wraps up, we got Kenobi and after Kenobi or middle of Kenobi, we got Miss Marvel, and we're still giving shine to Kamala Khan even a couple months before she debuts. Our quick question this week comes from Geo1997 over on Apple Podcasts, our best friend from the land up north over in Canada. Thank you so much, Geo, for always sending in fantastic quick questions, and this one is no different. He writes, loving this podcast every single week. Love the review on the Miss Marvel trailer, but wanted to hear your thoughts on whether she'll be an inhuman or not. Considering this is a huge part of her character in the comics, do you think they'll do it? Do you think now that she clearly doesn't have her original power, Marvel will retcon retcon the Inhumans or just not introduce them into the MCU? Thanks. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much, Gio, for the kind words and for the fantastic quick question. Matt, I want to ask you overall, Miss Marvel, Origins, very tied to the Inhumans. Do you think that's the way the show is going to go? So I think that it's one of the bigger questions going into Miss Marvel from a universe building standpoint. I think, you know, I've been talking about this a lot recently, I think, but um, I think it's really interesting going into a new project. What universe building question do we hope gets answered? You know, multiverse madness, obviously it's the whole idea of a variant and, you know, what that's going to mean for the future of X-Men and anybody else who ends up on the Illuminati, et cetera. Um, With Miss Marvel, I think it's really interesting to see how they handle the inhuman thing because, uh, you know, we've talked about it before. Inhumans, they gave it a shot on that Hulu side of the Marvel series thing. And it just wasn't like people didn't love that show and it kind of faltered out. But the Inhumans as a entity in the comics, something people really enjoy. Miss Marvel, arguably the most famous of that group, despite not being a core member of the Inhumans team at any real point. You know, it's Black Bolt. It's the Medusa lady with all the hair. It's the dog with the antenna. Um, the dog with the antenna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was waiting for it. Um, but uh, as far as how they handle Miss Marvel, I think that I think that they are going to set up the fact that she's an inhuman, but not really hammer home that it is quote unquote a thing. Does that make sense? I feel like the way Miss Marvel obtains her powers and the way that Kamala Khan goes about being a hero, that eventually is going to link to Inhumans. But right now, I think it's just a seed building where uh, two or three projects from now with this character, we can point to, hey, you know how Miss Marvel got her powers? Look at all these other people who got the powers the same way because it's the bracelet, right? The bracelet from the trailer seems to be giving her 
these cosmic powers that she has. The Inhumans are a cosmic team. It is an alien moon dust that gives them their powers. It's X-Men without being X-Men, right? Everybody's going to complain just because um, uh, they, they, I do think they want to differentiate Inhumans from X-Men. On paper, they are very close to each other. You know what I mean? It's a genetic thing that gets unlocked in you and you have these random powers. On screen, I do think you need to differentiate that somehow. Using that bracelet relic and this cosmic avenue, I think is a way to do that. I think we got a little bit of a Wanda Maximoff situation on our hands because she's not outright a mutant per se. She was introduced Mm -hmm. as a miracle. But we all kind of speculate that based off WandaVision's events that maybe there was something inside her that unlocked those powers like the tesseract unlocked something that was within her which is why other experimentations failed but wanda succeeded and why pietro succeeded so maybe we're in a situation like you said she's not outright named an inhuman yet but that doesn't mean she can't be one down the line things are going to change things are going to get wonky and inhumans is definitely something another thing that geo asks inhumans will show up in the mcu eventually uh, as as we get deeper into the weeds of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and comics get even deeper into characters that they're pulling into this universe, they will eventually introduce the Inhumans. They're too big of an IP not to. In the grand scheme of things, you know, they're more C-list. But as we get through our A-listers and B-listers, you got to give shine to the C-listers eventually. And I'd be shocked if we don't have Black Bolt in the MCU in the next 10 years. I think it's mm-hmm. a foregone conclusion. So... Whether or not that comes in June remains to be seen, but I think seeds will definitely be planted and maybe they don't sprout for another five, six years, but I think they're going to grow into a pretty big Inhumans tree eventually. That's enough quick question. That's enough stuff off the top. Let's get into all the top news you love from the universes this week, the sizzle reel. Kicking things off with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the god of mischief may be returning sooner than expected. Voice actor Peter Lonsbeck, who dubs Loki's German voice, noted that he's currently working on a new Marvel film. What could that be? On the streaming side of things, Moon Knight is just one week away and will mark the MCU's return to London. Star Oscar Isaac noted Marvel Studios placed the series abroad because they, quote, just have too many characters in New York. The hashtag make Tazen 3 campaign lives on and Sony's special social media team rather directly addressed the demand for more Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker, noting they've seen the hashtag, but they don't decide which moves are made. You know what guys? I don't believe you. <laughs> the Incredible Hulk is also heading to a streaming service, but not one you'd expect. The second ever MCU movie will be available on HBO Max next month. And moving over to the blue brand, George Lopez has joined the cast of Blue Beetle. Lopez will be playing Uncle Rudy in the new HBO Max DC character inspired show. Where is Harvey Dent? The answer, CW's (laughs) Gotham Knights. Supernatural actor Misha Collins has joined the cast of Gotham Knights as the city's famed district attorney. Can't wait to see more Two-Face in the DCEU. Finally, in news from a galaxy far, far away, legendary actor Christopher Lloyd of Back to the Future fame is joining Star Wars. Doc Brown himself will be playing a special guest role in The Mandalorian Season 3. And for everything you need to know about the universes you love, make sure to head over to the direct.com. 
What about the people in the back? I'm gonna say it nice and calm for everybody in the back. That is the direct dot com. Mm, that was that was <laughs> sensational right there. A lot of top Don't news trip. going on this week. Not as heavy as weeks prior. I think we've been pretty spoiled with our sizzle reels in recent weeks. Things have calmed down a little bit, but still big implications. Let's kick things off with that Loki news. The German voice actor for the God of Mischief noting that he is working on a Marvel film that he can't say anything about. Now, there's two that obviously Loki could have connections to, but one thing we have to stress off the top is he said film. He didn't say series. So this is not for Loki season two. And if we're doing voice acting, we're likely in post-production. So this is likely a film I would have to imagine that's coming out this year. They don't really do voice dubbing years in advance. And I think that there's kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there's kind of two options here. Matt, is it going to be Doctor Strange 2 or is it going to be Thor Love and Thunder? But before we get into Loki's next MCU appearance, we have an MCU debut to talk about. Sometimes on the direct podcast, we record stuff in advance and new news breaks because the news cycle just don't stop. And we have two pieces of big news from the worlds of Marvel and DC, but we're going to start with that Marvel news. Apparently, we are getting a Nova project set in the MCU at some point very soon this report comes from deadline so you know it has some traction behind it one of moon rights right moon knight's writers head is all over the place matt it's a crazy oh, yeah. crazy news day one of moon knight's writers sabir pizrada per perzada excuse me who wrote half of the first season of moon knight is developing the script for a nova project at marvel studios there's no word on whether this will be a theatrical film or a streaming series for disney plus but sources within deadline are saying it's likely going to be a show and as always kevin feige will be producing this has been something that's been rumored as far back as may of 2020 as far back as a couple months ago it was rumored that 2023 would mark the production starts for both a nova project and Fantastic Four. Obviously, Fantastic Four is official. We had no idea if Nova was just a rumor or a confirmation. It looks like it's pretty close to confirmation at this point. Matt, enlighten me on this character. Who is Richard Ryder, and why are everyone so excited about Nova coming to the MCU in his own solo project? Well, I mean, people are excited, William, because everybody's favorite branch of the MCU just got one more all-star on the roster. MCU Cosmic keeps expanding bit by bit. I just whipped out the old Marvel encyclopedia um, over here and just did, did a little brushing up on my Richard Ryder Nova, uh, you know, backstory here. Nova, the human rocket. Great name for a pitcher. Great name for, I think, a running back. You know, I think it's a solid nickname. Uh, basically, the idea of who Nova is, he is the cosmic speedster in a way, you know, the ability to fly as fast as whatever space thing they're going to refer him to in uh, the MCU. Um, the idea behind his origin story is that he is a member of the Nova Corps, which is the space militia of Xandar. And for those who aren't familiar, Xandar is the planet that we meet the Guardians of the Galaxy, featuring Glenn Close, John C. Riley as the uh, the police of Xandar. Uh, you know, they got my dick message. It's those guys who got the dick message. Um, uh, so basically, uh, Richard Ryder is a member of the Nova Corps who is with one of their most powerful, um, you know, leaders or one of their more powerful soldiers at the time of his passing. That soldier passed all of his Nova skills 
onto him, very Green Lantern vibes um, in that sense, right? Um, basically, the story beyond that is that uh, he is a big part of rebuilding Xandar after some sort of uh, cataclysmic event. And, um, you know, this is, yeah, right, this is Richard Ryder, not Sam Alexander, who is very famously the younger um, Miles Morales to Richard Ryder's uh, Peter Parker. So um, that's kind of the backstory on who Nova is. Liam, I want to go to you. Where do we see Nova fitting into the overall story of the MCU in the MCU cosmic brand? You know, where do we see uh, this character tying in based on what we've seen so far with Xandar? I do think Nova is going to be a major player very quickly too, because uh, one thing Kevin Feige said about Nova, uh, who he confirmed would show up in the MCU eventually. He said this in uh, months prior saying, yes, we're going to get Nova eventually, whether that be in one year, five years, 10 years, what have you. Very similar to the Moon Knight scenario when Moon Knight was confirmed years back, but no real development on when he would show up or who would be playing him. Kevin Feige called Nova a character with, quote, immediate potential. That to me is Carol Danvers. Like Carol Danvers showed up in March of 2019 and she was already headbutting Thanos in April 2019, one month later. And yeah. now she's one of the core members of the Avengers alongside Bruce Banner and, and talking with Shang-Chi and new recruits. And obviously she has ties to Miss Marvel and she has her sequel coming out next year. I see whoever they cast in this role as having immediate potential, immediately being a main player in MCU Cosmic, because as we know, the MCU Cosmic branch right now, kind of volatile. We don't know the future of Thor past July, and we really don't know the future of the Guardians as a team, because James Gunn is likely not doing another Guardians movie after Volume 3, and we know Gunn likes to kill characters, and we're probably going to get a couple deaths in Volume 3. Those are the two cornerstones of MCU Cosmic. Obviously, it's in good hands right now with Brie Larson, Academy Award winner, but we need more, more people. We need more faces. We need more A-list characters, and Nova, I think, is an A-list character that fits in pretty well. As for where he shows up, I do think he gets an appearance before this solo project because, sure, yeah. Marvel does like to do Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, uh, She-Hulk, introducing them in their own spin-off shows, but with a character like Nova that being a cosmic set MCU show, something we don't really get. Like even though the TVA is in somewhere in space and time, it's an office space. The idea of going out into the great unknown might be a little more jarring. Maybe we wanna like ease this character into audiences a little bit. Where could you see Nova showing up before his own solo project? So I think that we need to kind of look at the elements of his um, character origin from the comics. We know, you know, the MCU is, almost never a one-for-one one, right but they they will pull elements and you know the thing is the biggest thing about nova the where he gets his name he's a member of the nova Corps. he's the best member of the nova Corps, the zandarian uh space militia as they say in this uh, uh book i have here which is a really cool way to say that you know that you could say army you could say police force space militia come on um it's it's already established in the mcu through guardians of the galaxy volume one um, you know, we got to see that planet. We got to meet its people a little bit. We have an idea. So I see, um, you know, as far as like where he shows up before his next project, I think you got to look at your Guardians. You got to look at your Eternals projects because who's he tied into? You know, that's where you're going to get the spaces. We're going to run into Nova. As far as his overall positioning based on how the plot's going. So obviously there's relations to the Guardians project with Xandar. And, you know, we know not only was Xandar attacked by Ronan, 
it was destroyed by Thanos with uh, when he stole the Power Stone. So that could be a uh, you know a revenge plot with Nova. You know I want you know I want revenge on Thanos. There's no one around to get revenge on, bro. He's done. Well, Harry Styles just showed up, so we got that situation going on. I'm just thinking out loud here because you're sparking things in my mind. I love when we do what this, do. man. I love when we just start theorizing yeah. out of nowhere and it's unplanned. We see so many flashbacks to the Battle of New York exactly. through the lens exactly. of Kate Bishop, through the lens of Michael Keaton's Vulture. What if we get a, like, we want to see what happened on Xandar. Give us Richard Ryder through his perspective. Like that, say what you will about Batman v Superman. Watching Bruce Wayne see God versus Superman through his lens and freaking out. I want to see that. Oh man, you open uh, a Nova series with that scene. You even, you know, have that scene. I don't know where it would fit in a Marvels or Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe as a post credit scene. But yeah, that's that's a scene that's just so tailor made for this character. And um, you want to talk immediate potential? Like he immediately Thanos in the show. <laughs> he, he is immediately associated with. I'll say it: the greatest villain of the 21st century. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, and that's exactly where I was going next, Liam. You, you, you read my mind. You know, we walked in stride there, and I think that you know, seeing that Kate Bishop-like flashback to uh, the destruction of Xandar, the annihilation of Xandar. If you're a comic book reader, that's going to get you very excited. Um, it's it, there's so much potential to show this character with immediate emotional depth because they've done so good. Um, they've done so well, sorry, at setting the table in the MCU Cosmic through Guardians, through Thor. And now with the Eternals, listen, you know, we can say what we want about Eternals, you know, what's five months after the fact, right? They did such a good job, even in the moment, setting up characters we're excited to see again. And, you know, giving Nova a Thanos tie, you know, just bringing any other character that he might be associated to with your Harry Styles, now with your Eternals cast that we saw in that spaceship. You know, MCU Cosmic, yes, I agree with you. And it's something I never really thought of, really. The cornerstones, there's a lot of polarizing. Where are they going to be next year? Where's Tom Brady and Gronk going to show up the next season in the MCU Cosmic, that being Guardians and Thor? These young guns they got coming in with Nova, the Eternals, obviously Captain Marvel is a pretty big player in all this. Um, I think MCU Cosmic's in good hands with these IPs. I cannot wait to see how they thread it into the cloth that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Infinity Saga. Yeah, it's something that I'm very much looking forward to, and it eases any hesitations I have about not having an Avengers movie on the docket because we talk, we talked so much about in our Moon Knight Primer how stoked we are for like the Midnight Suns corner, the spooky side of the MCU. We talk about how stoked we are for Captain America 4 and everything going on with Hawkeye and the Young Avengers and the grounded side of the MCU. Then we go into Daredevil and Punisher and whatever happens with the Netflix Street. heroes in the street side of the MCU. Now, Nova, Cosmic, like all these branches are in good hands to culminate in their own culminating events. They don't all have to come together at once, but when they do eventually, 10, 15 years down the line, it's going to be something we've never seen before. And I, I just love that each branch has their own thing they're building towards. And having Nova within Cosmic only emphasizes that this branch is here to play. And, you know, I do just want to point out real quick, I very much understand how much of an achievement Avengers Endgame was and how that is not an easy thing to replicate the feeling we all had at the end of that movie. But look for them to attempt to replicate the I, the concept of resolution plus a, a, a new hope 
for whatever character IP or theme they got going on. You know what I mean? Avengers Endgame, we say goodbye to so many heroes, but so many seeds were planted for what we are now getting in phase four and how amazing it's been so far. Look for, look for Thor four and guardians three to, you know, not only, you know, maybe tie a bow on those IPs, you know, depending on how they want to play it, but also start planting seeds for future IPs in those same realms. And it's funny, too, because Nova is a character that was supposed to debut as far back as 2018's Infinity War. Uh, writers Marcus and McFeely uh, were noting that they originally in their script had Nova being the one to warn Doctor Strange Thanos is coming. He's coming. Who knows if that would have been something that they wanted to introduce beforehand and then it would have been Nova's like second appearance or if that would have been his outright debut. But that scene ultimately cut from Infinity War, just like another scene that was cut from the Batman. Matt, can you tell me about this little thing that got unlocked on RadaAlada.com today? It's pretty crazy how um, seemingly out of nowhere this was, even though we knew it all existed and we would all be getting it eventually. But um, Warner Brothers has released the full five-minute deleted scene from Matt Reeves' The Batman, featuring his interaction with Barry Keegan's Joker. Yes, this is the Hannibal Lecter scene we've all been hearing about for so long. This is the scene where Batman goes to seek some help from an old friend and Joker stuck behind glass in Arkham City. Before we really dive into the ifs and whats and wheres about all this, because there is so much of that, and man, what a commercial for the Batman too, huh? <laughs> like, like, what a great thing. I do want to point out something really quick. Um, I know we're on the DC side of things. Poor Morbius. You know, this is a movie... <laughs> That is, you know, on the, you know, the D-level studio and, you know, within all the fandoms we cover, you know, the Sony Spider-Man universe, definitely the least hype behind it. And this is a movie just trying to get people to go watch, right? And it has to run its promotion against Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series, everything that's coming out of Spider-Man No Way Home's digital and physical release as far as bonus features, The Amazing Peter 3, etc., etc. And then the Batman, the movie that's owned the first half of this year, drops a deleted scene one week before this movie comes out, who the hell's thinking about Morbius right now? <laughs> like, it's like that's insane that they have to run up against that promotional schedule. It's like you know, this is why people move movies. This is it. Yeah. Like we're experiencing it right now. I never understood it. Now I do. Now, Liam, back to the scene. Your boy, he showed up. Uh, he did a whole thing. You know what I mean? He was cut from most of the movie. We know he did a whole vibe. So we're gonna get into a lot of different things. I do want to ask you right off the top. We saw this scene. It's got a lot of narrative to it. We understand what Joker's position in the movie would have been had it not been cut out. How do you feel about this scene not being in what we saw in the Batman last month? Or earlier? I'm glad it wasn't in the movie. I'm glad it wasn't in the movie because a lot of uh, friends uh, who are talking to me about the Batman, they had complaints that the Joker was in the movie. And I never understood it because my biggest like pushback on that was he's not really in the movie. He's basically a post credit scene that is within the movie itself. The resolution has been reached. Like Gotham's mm -hmm. underwater, but Batman and everyone else with GCPD is working on rebuilding the city very slowly. You know, day six, the city's underwater. Riddler's behind <laughs> bars. That woman's going off to Bloodhaven. When Joker shows up, 
He doesn't mess with the narrative whatsoever. And in this scene, in the context of the movie, would it have messed with the narrative? No, not on paper. Would it have distracted from the narrative? Absolutely. All we would be thinking about in the theater was, oh my God, that's the Joker. And not only is that the Joker, that's a pretty damn good Joker. Like, ugh. So I'm glad this scene was not in the movie uh, for that reason. But at the same time, I'm also glad that they're embracing this character and not getting cold feet about it too. Not that, you know, Jared Leto's Joker polarizing, sure, but they clearly got cold feet after Suicide Squad. They clearly had bigger plans with Leto and they were just, they saw the reception and they didn't want to let him eat afterwards. For better or worse. Honestly, I'm going to say for better because it gave us not only Joaquin Phoenix's Joker movie, but it also opened the doors for this Joker to exist. One that I think I'm enjoying already more through five minutes of screen time over however much time Jared Leto had in 2016 Suicide Squad. Releasing this scene indicates to me that there is a plan in place that was made in the script for the Batman two, three years ago, and they are following through with it. They're Mm -hmm. teasing us as to what we're going to get and I think this would have been a perfect post-credit scene if it hadn't taken place in the context of the middle of the movie. Releasing right. it after the fact now gives us that post-credit like like feel. And like you mentioned too, this is a trailer for the Batman too. And 100%. how satiating is it? No, it's. I mean, it's an incredible thing that this is released. I can't remember any time we've seen something like this where um, a deleted scene gets released after a movie that is so... You know, it, it would have been so pivotal inside the movie. Is there anything I'm forgetting here? The only one I can think of was there was a deleted scene called Communion from Batman v Superman, which shows Lex Luthor communicating with Steppenwolf. And Steppenwolf is showing him a hologram oh, yeah. of the three mother boxes. And that was deleted. And that would have obviously, that has a big tie to Justice League. But I can't think of anyone with like Marvel. Maybe this is a DC thing. I am pretty sure that that scene is in the Snyder Cut. Like, I'm pretty sure at least a version of that scene is in the Snyder Cut. It could, <laughs> Luther still has hair back then. Sure, it's interesting. Yeah, man, I hate that I want to rewatch those movies just to see what I'm forgetting about them. Um, but um, with this Joker scene, I, I agree. I'm glad it wasn't in the movie. As far as like the whole Joker um, Riddler scene we did get, and like I see people online saying which one was better. I, people are saying I would have rather had this than the Joker Riddler thing. So I, while, yeah, this scene is better, but in the context of the movie, you're right. It would have totally distracted from everything going on, especially in a three-hour movie where you need to kind of keep people going on the main plot and not get distracted. You know, this would have been a drop in excitement for whatever was going on. And you have to ramp us back up. I, I, I agree this was a smart decision to keep it out of the movie. With the one that we did get, though, with Joker and Riddler, that was a post-credit scene. I know it wasn't a post-credit scene, but it was a post-credit scene, right? And I, I look at it that way. I think it plays that way. My, What was interesting to me about that post-credit scene, though, um, do we need a Joker? I wasn't talking about it in the context of that movie. I'm just talking about it in the context of we've gotten a Joker with every single Batman we've ever had, essentially. And, you know, I didn't, I just didn't know if it was the move to bring that big of a name into this character's trilogy this early. Now, this scene, though, does give me hope that they are going to really embrace this Joker here in the sequel, much like we saw in The Dark Knight. Um, and I think it's, good. it's just so interesting watching this scene in the context of what it would have been in the movie. It would have been so cool. Like, but the first time you see it, it would have been a 
very distracting thing. So um, I'm excited it's not in the movie. I'm excited that it exists, though, which is a very interesting feeling to have. I cannot wait to talk about the Joker himself. So Barry Keegan puts on a performance here. And um, it's a combination of things. Camera work, I think, is a very important part of this scene because they never give us a clear shot. They never do. And I think that's a really cool thing that they decided to do, right? Because it's a, if you know, you know, kind of thing. Everybody knows Joker, all right? You know, we've, we've reached that point in the lexicon of comic book villains where he is the one. And so the camera work here, only showing full resolution teases of him, the hair, the mouth, the eyes, the laugh, but never all at the same time. I think that was a really cool thing. What do we think of the production of this scene as far as introducing the Joker into this Batman universe? Uh, the production of the scene is absolute money. Like, oh my God, because yes, as you mentioned, everyone knows the Joker. You see the smile, you see the green hair, you know who it is and who they're going for. But the idea of still masquerading him behind shadows and behind blurry lenses and all that makes him feel that much more important. Like there's something something kind of Thanos-like about this portrayal of the Joker in the sense that our first glimpse of Thanos was a side profile in 2012's Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, we get the full face in Guardians uh, Volume 1 and as well as the Age of Ultron post credit scene. But it took us years to get there. The wow. idea of not seeing Barry Cogan's full face and in full makeup too, because that's another thing. That's another reason why right. I'm glad they disguised this not only for a narrative sense to plant the idea in the viewer's mind that this is a character of importance and we can't see him until he wants to be seen, that this character isn't wearing really makeup at the at this point. Uh, you can kind of see it in the back of his head and somewhere on his cheeks. Any makeup that he has, any white uh, paint on his face is very like smudged in the sense that you'd probably be able to recognize his like human face. And that's something that is so imperative to the Joker that you don't want to recognize the man behind the mask. And so keeping that blurry for now, I think is good because I don't want to see Joker's face ever. I know we got that one scene in The Dark Knight when Ledger is wielding the gun and everything and he's not, you know, dressed in the makeup. Uh, and it worked in the context of that film. But like going forward, I like the idea of the Joker being a mystery. We already got the full origin story with Joaquin Phoenix keep this guy as mysterious as possible. Sure. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the cosmetic part of the Joker here is just as important as every other aspect, how he looks does matter because like I said, we've gotten a lot of these guys, not just in live action, like in TV and stuff, we've gotten a few on TV as well, big blockbuster movies, movies we all talk about all the time. And uh, the whole idea of like makeup versus non-makeup human versus clown kind of thing um, not that clowns aren't people. Clowns are people too. Um, but um, I don't know, I, honestly, like, I don't know how familiar you are with 89, you know, and Jack Nicholson's Joker. Like, you know, that is a, such a different vibe than everything you just said, because um, let's just dive into the cosmetics of this Joker seems to be more of the, I fell into a vat of acid situation. You know what I mean? Not the, not the sad clown, not the uh, razor blades in the mouth kind of thing why so serious this is a i had a very chemical accident and i messed up because of it that's what happens to jack nicholson's joker in the 89 movie his skin turns white and he has tan makeup to go be a politician out there in the city of gotham yeah i i do think like obviously that's part of joker's origin but i do think they're going to go with the makeup here because 
they mentioned Matt Reeves said, especially that this Joker is like, it's a condition that he's like, he's smiling like that. It's like a birth defect. So like right. the same way that like Joaquin Phoenix couldn't control his laugh, this Joker oh, can't awesome. control the way he looks like he was born always smiling. So I don't know if that means like the back of his head is also messed up from a birth defect or if something else happened to him, or if he's just like obsessed with like pain or something crazy like that. Like this Joker, I think will differentiate himself from, like you said, Nicholson with the vat of acid and from ledger with the, you know, razor blades in the mouth or, or can't stand the sight of me and blah, blah, blah. There's, there's something that's going to make this Joker unique and I can't pinpoint it exactly because we haven't seen it and it hasn't been like, it, right. it hasn't been explained to us. It's all been implied. Like we're connecting the threads here on our own. But at the same time, like I have full faith in Barry Kogan. Is it is it Kogan, Keegan, or Keon? Because I see people saying Keon on social media. Uh, I hear Kogan occasionally. Either way, Barry, I know we got Barry right. And I think Barry, Barry is killing it so far. Mm, can we call him Barry K, please? Can we just call him Barry? I like Barry. Barry's cool. All right, Barry's cool. Also a pretty good show on HBO, starring Jim Hater. Also um, a pretty good uh, tea. What? Barry tea? tea? Yeah, Barry's Tea, uh, uh, native to Ireland. All right, so make sure you go check that out next time you're in the Irish Isle. Um, I think that um, – no, I agree with everything you said as far as, like, how I think they're going to handle this Joker. I just think it's interesting that um, the whole – you know, never see his face thing. The first Joker we got with Jack Nicholson, it was kind of the opposite. We saw a lot of Jack Nicholson there. So I'm, I'm just, it's going to be interesting to see how much they play with paint versus not paint with this Joker specifically. I like to me, just based on that five minutes we got, this feels like a kind of character to where if he's going to put on paint, there's going to be a reason. And I'm excited to see what that reason might be. You know, like as far as chaotic and mysterious as this character might be, those little interesting, weird tidbits of information we get, like, we don't know anything about him except that he puts on white paint. Why? You know, maybe that's like something we got to figure out. And I, now I want to throw it back to you with a question because this is something we talked about at length on the Batman review, which is live on the podcast feeds right now. Link below in the description. If you haven't seen the Batman yet, go see the Batman, then check out our review afterwards. Anyways, the Joker laugh. That's something that you said was very contentious right. to you, that you needed to go back and, and see it a second time. I specifically, when I watched this scene, the only time I rewound was to hear the laugh again. And I won't say my piece because I don't want to influence yours yet, but what are your thoughts on the laugh? So um, I originally gave the laugh a 6.2 um, when we briefly heard it in the Batman. Um, after my second watch, I did give it a 6.2. After hearing it a bit more here and also hearing it conversationally, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like an isolated thing all the time. It was within him talking. I'm going to bump it up to a seven one. I'm going to give him a seven one better laugh because I do like how he's talk laughing through some of this. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he's, he's kind of got a giggle to him when he's talking and I really enjoy that. I do want to say though, one, one small negative I do have about the performance we got before I ask you for your laugh rating here. I do want to say that when he was talking calmly which is such a big part of the joker too is being able to bring it back you know what i'm saying bringing able to bring it back to something serious he did sound a little bit just like a heath Ledger ledger impression you know like his cadence and the way he said things like was very heath ledgery to me and not that that's bad but you know don't don't come with the king if you're not gonna miss you know what i'm saying like like you know the, the heath ledger impression is a little scary to me i wonder what a full movie of that would feel like but the laugh i am coming away because the way he used it conversationally, 
Yeah, I love the laugh personally. I was like a very big fan of, especially when Batman's walking away and it's building up a little bit. Um, Rating wise, I guess probably like a seven, eight, like room, obviously room for improvement, but like a very high potential. And my rating scale is also a 7.8 is not a C plus. I know a lot of people look at ratings and they're like, oh, it's a grade scale. No, five is average. Five is flat average. Above a five on Rotten Tomatoes is is fresh. You know what I mean? Like that's how we rate things. Uh, ish you know yeah, this is out of 10 not 100 you know exactly. it's a different game different exactly game. 7.8 out of 10 is, is pretty satisfactory um yeah like, like a <laughs> it's a pizza skill exactly like you said uh about the heath ledger impression i will admit that is something i noticed uh listening to it i was like this does found sound at times very ledger-esque but it does make me ask the question like ledger's the quintessential joker at this point in time I feel like other Jokers are just naturally going to sound somewhat similar, not to give Barry the excuse, but like there's such a fine line to ride with these iconic characters, right? Between doing an impression and making it your own. You have to find a little balance in between. And occasionally it'll tip between the two. But the difference with like making it your own, sometimes we end up with Jared Leto. And like that was like way too making it your own and it's wacky and uncomfortable. I would rather him lean more you know, 60-40 Ledger impression making it his own because that means we're going to get a good Joker out of it. And I know that's a safer option, but in this Matt Reeves universe, Heath Ledger's Joker would thrive. He would thrive. And if Barry Kogan's going to be Heath Ledger-esque, even to just a small degree, it has my support. And everything you just said is completely valid and I understand it. I do want to push back on it, though, just from my opinion, right? The Heath... You know, I've, I've actually looked back at a handful of interviews from 2008's The Dark Knight. I used to have the deluxe, um, you know, steelbook and like have all the extra credits and all the extra, uh, what is it called, bonus footage and interviews and all these different things. Like they had a whole documentary on Heath Ledger in that uh, like fifth anniversary thing. Um, a lot of people said that about Heath Ledger when he got the job for Joker was, you know, how, you know, how's he going to do Jack Nicholas without being Jack Nicholas and uh, Jack Nicholson, I mean. Um, and you know, that's, you know, that's a thing as, as campy as the 89 is now, that was something people were talking about. No wait, but Heath Ledger found a way to make it original. Um, so I, I do kind of expect somebody who's going to take on the Joker in this magnitude, especially after seeing what Jared Leto did, I think you kind of have to bring a different swing. You gotta, you gotta, you have to bring your own flavor. Very well could be a reason this scene was cut from the film as well. Hey, you know, Barry, you were a little too ledgerish here. Let's drop it down a little bit or bring it back up, whatever it might be. I do think, though, if you're going to be Joker in this kind of universe, you've got to bring your own style. And, and the reason I say that, the reason I'm adamant about that is because of two things. One, that's stepping into the box with two strikes if you're going to try to be Heath Ledger. No one's ever going to say that you are. It's, it's LeBron James. LeBron James can win five more titles. Nobody's ever going to say he's better than MJ overall you know what i'm saying so that what what you, you understand what i'm saying though. Yes. no matter what lebron does it's going to be the mj conversation barry doesn't want that smoke i don't i don't i don't think we want barry to have that smoke and two while watching the movie while watching that five minute scene i couldn't not be distracted by it not that it was bad not that it took away from anything i just kept thinking in my head man that sounds like he's a little bit you know so that's that's just two those are two small reasons i don't want him to go after Ledger here because, you know, making it your own, I think is better than trying to hit the MJ that is Heath Ledger. 
I'm going to keep making excuses for my boy. So I know if this I sounds know. like excuses, then then so be it. But could that be because you didn't see his face? When we hear audio of something, sometimes we, in our mind, we're painting the picture. And if you hear a voice that you think sounds like Heath Ledger, maybe in your mind, you're like, that sounds like Heath Ledger. Maybe if you see a clear, you know, in-focus shot of Barry Cogan as Joker and he's speaking, like maybe you don't hear Heath Ledger. That, that, that could be possible. I definitely don't think it is for me personally. It's just, it, it, it was his cadence. It was his, it was, it was honestly his voice, like his, the way it sounded and he kind of talked the like, you know, it, it's not one for one, but that's my only thing going into the Batman two, We see this happening all the time when, a, when the first of a superhero movie improves on things it needs to improve on. And the second look at Cap Winter Soldier and all the action they put into it that was very much lacking from first Avenger. Um, I, I hope that in the Batman 2, they do rework at least his cadence a little bit to give him something unique in the talking part of it. Because like I said, the way he giggle talked throughout this whole thing, I absolutely loved it. It's when he slowed it down that I couldn't get Ledger out of my head. I hope that's something they look at going into the Batman 2. Liam, I do want to ask you, seeing this scene, meeting this guy, talking about what this Joker means for the future, we're going to have to be reintroduced to the idea that these two know each other. This scene, as popular as it's going to be on YouTube, was not in the movie. They can't act on it as if it was. So going into the Batman 2, how do you see our introduction, reintroduction to Barry Kay's Joker, to Barry's Joker, sorry. <laughs> oh, man. That's, you know a, I mean? How do you see that playing out plot-wise? It's a great question. I think it doesn't happen in Arkham because that would just kind of be redoing this good. scene. And mm -hmm. I mean, Joker's gonna hey. get out. <laughs> hey, redo it though, like low key, like, like, well, like that could be pretty cool. This is a great scene. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it, but there, obviously, like I, there would be pushback. Like, like there's pushback on everything. Um, I wonder too if when the Batman comes out on HBO Max, if they will do a director's cut of it, and then maybe this oh. scene becomes like canon per se. Oh, oh, and if this oh, scene oh. becomes canon, then it changes things, obviously. But yeah. when he eventually does reunite i i don't even know if he's the villain of the next movie i i think that there's a good chance he's the seed that they're planning to sprout for the third movie because he's he's thanos of batman's world like obviously not in terms of power level but in terms of name level like he is the guy and so that's that's something i hope they develop slowly over time especially if they want to do a death in the family storyline especially if they want to do red hood eventually you need to develop your Robin just as much as you need to develop your Joker in order for that storyline to have as much payoff as it does in the comics. So when they do meet again, slash for the first time, slash for the 50th time, because they do know each other from before this, uh, I do hope it continues the vibe that we got in the scene. One final thing I'll say on this too, what's really cool to me about this scene is it's kind of a deleted concept from the Dark Knight Rises fully realized. Heath Ledger obviously passed sure. away, but obviously if he was not, if he was still alive, they would have used Heath Ledger. Christopher Nolan has said in interviews before that they wanted to use Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight Rises, not as an antagonist per se, but in some capacity. I mean, the guy won in an Oscar way, for a role, literally in this way. Like when Batman is broken and at his weakest, he goes to his mortal yeah. enemy for advice because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And oh. the idea of Christian Bale going to Arkham to meet with Heath Ledger's Joker to find a way to find that inner strength to beat Bane, or maybe it's a different villain in that original script of The Dark Knight Rises. Who knows? 
but that's what this scene would have been. And like, I literally, I got a little chills like watching it because that's something that's not lost on Matt Reeves. Like Matt Reeves knows the significance of this character and this character's placement in Hollywood and him almost paying tribute to something we never got to see in the Dark Knight Rises through this scene. It's it's cinematically beautiful. Like, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I love the community behind the Batman character, how much care is placed into this role. And I think the franchise is in really good hands. I couldn't agree more. That was that was really well said. And I think that this scene is such a special thing. Like I I, I pointed out, I do have issues with, you know, this scene. Honestly, it's, it's really just that one little thing. But like the fact that this exists in the context that you just laid out, I think is an amazing special thing that, you know, I just want to double down on what you just said. Matt Reeves cares and he knows and he understands. And that's a really cool thing to uh, be behind one of the biggest characters. You said, you know, Joker is the Thanos of the DCEU. I talk about it all the time. There's three big names in comic books that surpass everybody else. It's Batman, it's Superman, it's Spider-Man. Joker's number four on that list, I would say. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's very cool. Can't wait to see more of this character. Barry, man. He's the king of just, I want more of it. I want more Barry in my life, um, you know, with little tweaks here and there. I think this could be, you know, um, as special for the Joker character as it was Robert Pattinson for the Batman character. Cannot wait to see it. Liam, you have anything else to say? You know, your boy, your boy got some spotlight today and Morbius is dead. I will say, I mean, I love the character of Druig, but this situation with Barry Kogan reminds me of, all too often when a WWE star goes over to AEW, a guy that wasn't really utilized in WWE, maybe lower mid card and AEW gives them the chance to shine. And all of a sudden they're world champion. And they're the most popular wrestler in the world. Really? Look at someone like John Moxley, who is Dean Ambrose in WWE. Sure. He reached highs, but towards the tail end, he was lower end of the card. He goes to AEW and he becomes one of the most popular wrestlers in the world. And Barry Kogan, not to say Marvel studios didn't use him properly, but he was one of an ensemble. And sure, he was a standout sure. performance, but like, man, now seeing what he really can do as the most iconic comic book movie antagonist of all time, it's pretty special. Well, it sounds like patience to me. It sounds like patience on both ends. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, this, this Barry kid's really getting a lot of shine early on in his big universe uh, career. And um, I can't wait to see where it goes on both points. I would say that, uh, um, uh, what's his uh, character's name in Eternals? Druig. Druig. I think Druig not only was a standout, moving forward, one of my most intriguing characters because he's with Makari and Angelina Jolie. I mean, come on. How, how can you not be excited about that? One final thing I want to say on this, and I have said that like three separate times. How <laughs> hilarious is it to look back at that article that his brother on Facebook was like, my fucking brother Barry's playing the Joker, lads. Guys. Yeah. He's playing the joke, and they had to be like, no, no, he's, no, he's just kidding. He's kidding. Like, he told his family, and his family was like, let me get on the social media real quick and announce to the, the friends and the cousins and all that that, you know, Cousin Barry's playing the Joker, and little do they realize Facebook is a public platform, and that news spreads like wildfire. And Barry was like, oh, he's being ridiculous. But no, it was true. Dude, that exact same thing happened to me when my wedding got delayed officially. You know what I mean? When the when the governor of Indiana officially delayed the thing they needed to delay for my wedding, I got hit up by my aunts and uncles saying, hey, sorry about that before I was even awake that day. <laughs> you know what I mean? For the exact same reason. That's so crazy. You just brought that up. That's funny. But um, yeah, man, it's just wild that, you know, we now have another full-fledged, you know, it's five minutes plus whatever we got in the Batman. We have a Joker, 100%. 
And we have another Joker with Walking Phoenix. That's a very interesting thing. Two very different characters, something we should talk about more next week. But ladies and gentlemen, that has been your, uh, you know, uh, Liam's got more, ladies and gentlemen. I don't really have more. I just thought of a perfect segue. So, well, you're about to talk about Loki and there's 800 different variants of Loki and blah, blah, blah. Bunch of different Jokers running around. Bunch of different Lokis running around. Let's get Matt's thoughts on where the God of Mischief is going to show up next. We now return to your regularly scheduled broadcast. I hate to, you know, burst bubbles and deflate excitement, but I do think it's going to be Doctor Strange too. I think it's really heavily forgotten with all the hype for Multiverse of Madness right now. What with the Doctor Strange and the other Doctor Strange and the other Doctor Strange and Wanda and uh, Patrick Stewart and all these things. Loki's in this movie, I think. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, we haven't seen anything recently, but when this movie was first announced, we all have to remember it was announced as Doctor Strange wanda and loki those three teaming up as the multiverse trio obviously things can change scripts can be rewritten and scenes can get cut but i do think loki is going to be in multiverse of madness i think it's a great way to tie the concepts and themes we saw in loki the show along with multiverse of madness just to have people have more of an instant connection with what the multiverse means and the kang and the timelines and all those different things um have we talked about I, I know we did our uh, dream Illuminati cast or Illuminati roster rather a while back. Have we talked about the idea of a Loki variant being on the Illuminati? Yeah, we, we mentioned it, I believe, in that draft as an honorable mention. I, I think that should be way more of a favorite than it is. I think that we probably should have put that on one of our teams. I think that's I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Loki is a hyper-powerful galactic superstar, right? I think it would make sense after his experience with the TVA and Loki that he could graduate into more of a multiversal role, um, uh, Peter Baelish on the King's Council in Game of Thrones type situation. Ooh, oh, oh. that's quite oh. the comp there. I like that. Yeah. Um, I, I do think... I do think whatever his role could be in Love and not Love and Thunder, excuse me, Multiverse of Madness, I do think it would be linked to the Illuminati. And maybe it's a situation of him crying out for help. Maybe it's him going to them and saying, listen, a situation is happening. And I don't know if you know about this Kang dude, but it's going to get messy. So where that fits into the movie itself, I don't really know. I, I think he might be a top post-credit candidate. It makes me a little worried yeah. because I really want to see Kang in a post-credit scene part of me is wondering if a post-credit scene is just a Kang warning. Kang will be a presence, I think, in Multiverse of Madness. Whether or not we see him remains to be seen. Um, yeah, Loki was uh, initially rumored for Doctor Strange 2 the day after the Loki season finale aired. And it came from The Hollywood Reporter, which is not nothing. Like, that's, that's pretty cut and dry. This is likely going to happen. And we all saw yeah. what we thought was a TVA door in an early Doctor Strange trailer. That was debunked, but still, that iconography is there, and it's messing with our minds. Also, at the same time, Thor Love and Thunder would be such a natural fit because I put it here in our rundown. The only time Chris Hemsworth has showed up in the MCU without Tom Hiddleston by his side is Age of Ultron. And I guess you could count the Doctor Strange post credit scene, but we both know that that scene is in the context of Thor Ragnarok, where Loki has been falling for 30 minutes off screen. Love it. So there's only one movie where Hiddleston and Hemsworth have not been side by side. And I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong here, but back in 2014 when they were doing reshoots, there was a scene shot with Tom Hiddleston's Loki intended for that vision sequence 
uh, that Thor went to when he saw what should have been Ragnarok. I digress. Um, and, you know, that would have been uh, a perfect harmony of Thor and Loki on screen together every single time one of the two shows up. So I think that there is a natural fit. And I do think that that line in Infinity War, the sun will shine on, shine on us again one day, brother. I think that that's a thread they intend to tie up one day. Is it Thor Love and Thunder? I don't know. I'm also betting Multiverse of Madness, but hey, do you see an outlet for Loki in Love and Thunder? Um, I, I definitely think it's always possible. I definitely think that, um, you know, bringing those types of characters that are so important to an IP into a project is always a big pop moment, right? You know, that's how you get the, the gasp in the theater. You know, that's how you get all the marks in the theater to really lose their mind a little bit. Um, it does, and man, broken record over here lately. I really feel like that. I feel like I'm like replicating the same things over <laughs> week by week. It does kind of fall into that undoing a thing as soon as it's done situation, right? Loki dies in Infinity War. Obviously, we get him right back in Endgame, but with a twist. It's not exactly the same Loki, all those different things. To bring him and Thor back together right away, I'm just not sure that that is something that um, would be the most beneficial to a movie that is probably going to be a farewell to Thor. You know what I'm saying? I would love to see Thor even more embrace his hardships that he's gone through. We saw it in Endgame in a really um, unique and I and what I see as an awesome way to depict depression. You know, you do gain weight, you do start drinking, you do stop caring about things. And that's what Thor did. To see him kind of embrace that a little bit and move on into a more... Um, you know, Odin type role as this all powerful Thor. That's what I'm hoping we get to. I just, um, I don't know. I, I, I would love to see a Thor movie about Thor and not about Thor and Loki. Sure. And I, I, I do see where you're coming from, but I do think we have seen Thor movies that, you know, I think Ragnarok is mostly a Thor story, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you want to, to play on your own. And I agree. Yeah. For Love and Thunder would be a unique take on the character if Loki is not there whatsoever. So, hey, remains to be seen. We're still waiting for that goddamn trailer. Maybe that'll give us some some answers. Where is Can it? Can we talk about that? Can we talk about that Go for, for a it. second? Please. I, you know, I've tweeted a bunch. You've tweeted a bunch. I wrote an article. You wrote an article. We're, we're very all in on the whole how many days between the first trailer and the release of a movie. I think it's really interesting that for the first time since 2008, a movie crossed a certain threshold with Spider-Man No Way Home. We are in a situation with Thor Ragnarok. We've never waited this long outside of The Incredible Hulk in 2008. Like, it's insane. The average number of the average, I'm calling it the promotional window. If you can go back and rewrite an article, you know, like to throw in certain buzzwords, this is uh -huh. the one I would throw in. The promotional window for movies um, between the first trailer and the release of the movie, for Thor movies specifically, the average is 160 days. We are at 105 days. Like we are so far away from that average. We're almost two months late based on that average. It, it makes me really, concerns not the right word. I just don't know how blindsided we're gonna be by the plot of this movie. What if it is another multiversal thing? And is that gonna be a little too much multiverse in what seems to be a year of nothing but multiverse talk. I don't think it'll be multiverse, but I see what you're saying about multiverse levels of confusion because not that Ragnarok is a confusing movie, but Taika Waititi has said as far back as when he was just writing the script for Love and Thunder that this one is crazier than Ragnarok. 
So if this oh. is an ambitious <laughs> film, we're going to need to get ready for it. I'm yeah. not concerned whatsoever about the lack of trailer. I'm I'm frustrated. Don't get me lie. Don't get me wrong. But Marvel's running three promotional campaigns at once right now. I think they want Moon Knight to air. And then once we're within at least one episode, maybe two episodes, then they're okay with starting the Love and Thunder promotional campaign. But I will say, I don't want to make like two bold predictions because I've just been swinging and missing lately on these trailer prediction dates. But I think maybe look out for Sunday. Maybe look out for Oscar Sunday yeah. because obviously the Super Bowl is the hot day for ads, but the Oscars are also a celebration of film. And if there is a time to celebrate film and celebrate blockbusters and celebrate the very genre that's getting fans back into the theaters, a Thor Love and Thunder 30 second spot telling people go watch the full trailer on YouTube. I don't think it's crazy. So keep a lookout no. on Oscar Sunday. So yeah, I think that's a great that's a great benchmark. You know, we're kind of looking for those event days, right? To kind of really release this. Because at this point, why not release it randomly on a Tuesday like they did with the Miss Marvel trailer? You know what I'm saying? Like this wasn't like Spider Man No Way Home, where we all knew to wake up by nine o'clock the next day because the trailer's coming. Um, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see um, you know with the Oscars and you know, obviously a celebration of not just film, Liam, cinema. You know, this is artistic cinema but there is a genre of movie that is classified as popcorn nothing gets more popcorn than taika watiti chris Hemsworth, and thor love and thunder so i think that could be a really awesome you know flashy popcorn break in the monotony is not the right word but the seriousness of the academy awards sure yeah i think we'll all have to keep a look at this oscar sunday march 27th let's move over to the streaming side of the mcu too many characters in new york please baby no more characters in new york uh kanye west no parties in la you familiar yeah but yeah i got you i'm right okay. there with you kendrick lamar no it's more parties in la please baby no more parties in la yeah uh, get, get the heroes out of the big apple is what marvel is saying these days oscar isaac was asked about the show being set in london and he said it took him by surprise at first and he asked you know just out of curiosity not out of you know not liking it but just hey why london and they said to him point blank too many characters in new york please baby no more characters in new york because we've had uh, i believe the article said that there's 12 marvel projects that are set in new york city for at least some time most recently falcon winter soldier spider-man no way home multiple avengers movies okay. uh, captain america first avenger took place in brooklyn uh for a spell like we've been to new york so often and i hawkeye. like hawkeye oh my god hawkeye we <laughs> the last <You're> just two, there <laughs> the last two marvel projects were all in new york that's crazy yeah really good point there um how do we feel about going back to london um because i don't believe we've been to london since thor the dark world eternals uh yeah yeah i mean you know it starts in london anyway sure. you know like we didn't spend a ton of time in london but granted we didn't spend a ton of time in london in uh dark world comparatively to the amount of time we spent on asgard right because just the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie right yeah and then the, the flashes in between of yeah. the selvig and whatnot because the beginning of the movie is that Dane Dehan superhero movie. And then the end of the movie is uh, when all the nine realms stack uh -huh. on top of each other, much like they did in the Loki season finale when Kang was explaining the multiverse. Just saying. Um, I think that going back to London is going to be really fun. I do think that there's going to be some sort of Eternals and or Dane Whitman tie 
early in this show because he's working at the London Museum. That's where Cersei and Dane Whitman were working at the beginning of Eternals, right? It's it's two different museums, but close in proximity. So yeah, I do I do think maybe like an artifact or something. You know, I think that the fact that we have been to London, especially so recently, I do think we're going to get a little MCU tie there. Um, but being back in London, I think it's awesome. I think expanding the MCU is a great thing. The world outside your window, that's for everybody. It's not just for us idiots here in the U.S. that just want to see New York and the Statue of Liberty because it's not just the MCU, Liam. We got five Spider-Man movies based in New York before the MCU even started. We got like three X-Men movies based in New York, even though the X-Men are not in New York. And it's just that. It's, it's going to be interesting to see when we get back to new york i think that's uh well dr strange multiverse madness we'll be right back there bleaker street for a little bit i i I think we're going to be going across the multiverse and hopefully not just multiverse iterations of the big apple a question i want to pose (laughs) to you though is you know outside of london what other real world cities do you want to see spotlit in the mcu because we've gotten a bunch over the past 14 years we got seoul uh south korea in age of ultron that was awesome. Uh, we got so much places in Europe in Cap Civil War. Uh, I, I think that there's still many areas within the real world that we haven't ventured to. Are there any that are on the top of your list? Because I know I got one. Is Wakanda a cheap answer? Because I just want to go back, dude. I just want to go back to Wakanda. So real world cities that I would like to see us go to, Chicago. I just think Chicago is such a cool city. You know, people don't talk about Chicago as like a really fun city enough. And um, I think that could be really cool. I do like that we're going to Jersey in uh, Miss Marvel. You know what I mean? Like we've been in Queens and Spider-Man Homecoming. I like that we're going to Jersey. So that's really exciting. So um, as far as like big cities, the thing is in these superhero movies, it's all kind of the same once we get into the backdrop of it, unless you incorporate a little bit more of the culture or vibe of that city. What's your pick? Oh, Boston, baby. Oh, Black well, we're Panther, gonna, Wakanda. We're, we're going to be there. Black Panther too, yeah. And Ironheart. <laughs> like, I know we were in MIT very briefly in Cap Civil War, but we didn't go outside of a lecture hall. You know, I, I want to see some buildings. Right. I want to see the commons. I want to see Fenway Park. I want to see the Prudential Center. I, I Like, the, the world outside my window, it's the 617, baby. And I want to see that in the MCU. Well, Carol Danvers is from Denver in the comics, so maybe we can get to Denver, get to my home city a little bit as well. I doubt we're going to Indianapolis. <laughs> I doubt we're going to make it there. But um, uh, do they have crime in Boston? <laughs> so much crime. That got a yeah. pop out of me so big Wicked in the theater. Crime. <laughs> Wicked, crime. <laughs> Wicked crime, kid. It's going to be crime. fun. Maybe Very even good. the next Spider-Man movie we venture to Boston. I think Boston's got a bright future in the MCU. And speaking sure. of things that play, take place in new york uh way too much you know we were in new york at the very genesis of the mcu most of it malibu california for iron man but hey one month later incredible hulk we were in i believe harlem harlem correct there we go mm-hmm. luke cage harlem. i've been i've been to the school that they shot the incredible hulk in. like the campus yeah like i walked in the field where he jumps out that window thing i got oh, friends who live fire. in harlem yeah it's dope as shit we're talking like the the little bridge. Yes, the, and he jumps the out onto the thing. Yes, absolutely. The the, awesome. the the scene from the What If episode. I've been there. Yes, with the mm-hmm. gas and everything, and he rages out. Great What If episode. Great What If episode. Great really cool concept. Mm-hmm. Really cool concept. Well, hey, Incredible Hulk, if you want to watch it again, it's going to be streaming very soon, which is great, right? But it's going to be on 
HBO Max. Oh, man. Very odd, surprising, intriguing, maybe has implications. Who knows? Matt, very broad question off the top. What does this mean? Nothing. <laughs> I don't think it means anything for the universe itself, but the fact that Incredible Hulk is specifically not just going to a different streaming service, HBO Max, the DC streaming service. It's going to be so weird to be scrolling through the HBO Max catalog and see Batman and Batman and Batman again, and then a Superman movie and then the Incredible Hulk. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be so strange, especially with the Marvel Studios logo on it. You know, it's just going to be so crazy. Um, I have no idea. I, I honestly, um, you know, I dropped the ball a little bit. I didn't do any research, Liam. Do you know why it's going to HBO Max and not any other service? I think they just kind of picked up the distribution rights, which is crazy to me That's because wild. this film was originally distributed by Universal Pictures. This was back when Marvel Studios was scrapping and working paycheck to paycheck. They were leasing their film studio, an independent film studio, to a bunch of major film studios. So that's why Iron Man was Paramount, Hulk was Universal. And eventually after that first Avengers movie, most of everything was bought by Disney, but some characters still had the gray area of existing on other big film studios. And Hulk for the longest time had his solo film rights at Universal. And since then, Kevin Feige has said, as well as Namor too. Namor was one that no one really talks about, but they never really executed a Namor solo project movie or TV show. But what people have been saying recently, especially Kevin Feige, is that that situation has been like mopped up, apparently. Mm -hmm. We don't know what that means. We're hearing rumblings of another solo Hulk movie, maybe a World War Hulk after the events of She-Hulk. Who knows? But if that's going to happen, it's going to have to happen under the Disney banner for everything to work harmoniously. So maybe this is a situation of HBO Max just kind of seeing an opportunity to take a character that they know is going to be resurrected in pop culture later this year when She-Hulk comes out. And maybe it's a way to drive traffic to HBO Max. Hey, if you want to catch up on Incredible Hulk, well, this character doesn't really relate to Mark Ruffalo. Well, kind of. It's technically the same person. But hey, come over to us. Watch your, uh, watch your Incredible Hulk and be happy. I don't think this means anything, but I just do think that the noteworthiness of HBO Max of all streaming services can't be understated. It's absolutely huge. It's 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 something that I don't think anybody saw coming. That's the other thing. You know what I mean? I can't imagine this is something anybody anticipated. But it's 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 also really cool, Liam, that we are going to get a Hulk titled project on Disney Plus. Like, you know, we obviously we talk about the Hulk quote-unquote trilogy between Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame, which I think we all agree is a really cool character arc between those three movies for Bruce Banner and the Incredible Hulk. But um, I just think that it's so interesting that we're getting a Hulk title project on Disney+. Plus. I think, I think we're going to need to start embracing Jennifer Walters as our Hulk, much like they've done in the comics time and time again. One thing I want to say that might be interesting for you, Mr. Fast and Furious Boy, is Universal is one of the only streaming services, you know, uh, excuse me, one of the only film studios out there that doesn't have a streaming service along with Sony Pictures. And we know what sure. Sony's doing right now. They're kind of making strategic alliances with a bunch of giants. They have a partnership with Netflix currently. They're going to be moving the Spider-Man movies to Disney Plus eventually. They're in bed with the two biggest streaming services existing right now. Could Hulk, Incredible Hulk, being a Universal distributed movie originally, going to HBO Max be an indication that maybe Universal 
is going to start to work with Warner Brothers and HBO Max. And maybe we see the Fast and Furious movies, the Jurassic World movies eventually on HBO Max. Maybe we get a Fast and Furious streaming show. Like, I know that would be up your alley. I don't know if it would be up my alley, but it's uh, it'd up be your awesome. Highway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up, my, up, up my family, you know what I'm saying? Um, the Fast and Furious, I definitely want them to remain blockbuster movies that I go see, not a show I have to sit down and watch. Um, I think that it can get pretty out of hand pretty quickly there. But uh, as far as Fast and Furious being on a streaming service, I own all the movies, so I, I'm not as excited for that. But um, there was some recent Fast and Furious news, right? Uh, 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 Daniela Melquire. Daniela Monquire will be joining the Fast and Furious family, and that is very, very exciting. One of my breakout stars from Suicide, uh, James Gunn's Suicide Squad was uh, Melquire as Ratcatcher, too. What an awesome character that nobody talks about anymore. Well, yeah, it was short-lived. I know, but like, it, like that was, I mean, she's gonna, she's gonna be in the next movie, right? And I just think that, like, you know, I, I love the idea of finding the emotional core in something ridiculous, and it's rats. Like, like we're all crying at the end of that movie because rats and Taika Waititi and, and the Starro. Like, that's, I love that. I think that's such a cool thing for that character. It is special. And I do think she will show up, you know, at some point again. Peacemaker season one finale was kind of all of our sneaky bet that we were going to get some mm-hmm. sort of cameo. And it ended up being Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller, two <laughs> of Ezra the Miller. biggest A-listers. <laughs> in modern Hollywood, but you know, A-listers exist throughout all decades of Hollywood. And sometimes they go back decades and sometimes they eventually make their way to modern films. And Christopher Lloyd getting into the Star Wars universe got us thinking, what other legendary actors do we want to show up in our fandom driven IPs? Throughout 14 years of the MCU, we've seen some pretty top tier talent make their way into Marvel projects. And it's not just actors who are looking to attach themselves to a franchise. It's often a lot of legacy roles for actors who have been in Hollywood for what feels like a century. And it goes beyond just Marvel. The worlds of DC have seen top tier talent. Star Wars, especially since 1977, has just been acquiring the toppest of talent out there in Hollywood. Toppest. I was looking for a synonym and I just could not find it it to save my life. But anyways, this news about Christopher Lloyd joining Mandalorian season three in a quote special guest role got us thinking about what other famous actors we want to see make the leap into these fandom driven IPs, Marvel, DC, Star Wars, etc. Before we get there though, I did want to kind of put some shine on actors we've already seen in Marvel, DC, Star Wars, who are these top tier talents. Matt, I know you're just indicating I'm going to go and do a Heath Ledger. Here we go, but I'm not going to name all of them. I'm just going to pick a couple that I absolutely (laughs) love. But first, I want to go to you. What names on our short list of just top tier A-listers from Hollywood dating back as far as the 1960s have stuck out to you within Marvel, DC, and Star Wars? Um, the fact that Captain Winter Soldier got Robert Redford is unbelievable to me. I think the quality of that movie is enhanced so much. I don't even think like uh, 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 Alexander Pierce, he's a good villain. I don't think he's anything special as a villain, 
but Robert Redford playing him gives him that kind of vibe. You know what I'm saying? Like the things he does, I think are good, not great. The fact that Robert Redford's doing them, I think make them great. And I think that matters. I think that matters when you're talking about that kind of stuff. Um, uh, Michael Keaton and Spider-Man Homecoming, greatest comic book movie actor of all time, Michael Keaton. Um, and then uh, back again to Captain America IP, Tommy Lee Jones. I think he brings so much um, charisma and um, you know solid acting prowess to that movie. You know, uh, Captain Carter, if you got something to say, now would be a really good time to keep it to yourself. Like, what an amazing line that only Tommy Lee Jones could deliver. So those are a few that spotlighted to me off the top. Yeah, Michael, uh, excuse me, Robert Redford is is my top. It's insane that they were able to get him for this movie. And I'll go a huge step further with that role. I think it's the most underrated MCU villain, like in Marvel Cinematic Universe history, because it is a one-off character. And sure, he's a suit, but sometimes the suits are the best villains. And I just think... He's so intimidating and imposing, and he's obviously Robert Redford, so he can easily share the screen with Samuel L. Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, and Chris Evans, but he does it so naturally, and it's there's something about that character, Alexander Pierce, when he showed up in Endgame, which I was not expecting whatsoever, I was giddy to see him again. What a good-looking guy Robert Redford is, too. You know what I mean? Like, how old was he in that movie? Like, he looked fantastic. He is, he's currently 85 years old. So he was in his mid seventies in that movie. That's insane. That's insane to me. I love that. Have you seen all the president's men? Oh, of course. Have I seen it? I've read it, baby. So good, dude. It's such an amazing movie. Incredible film. Other names that stick out to me on this list recently, the last Jedi gets a little flack retrospectively. It's been appreciated more since the release of rise of Skywalker, but Laura Dern and Benicio Del Toro, both one-off roles for both of these characters within the uh, Star Wars universe. Benicio Del Toro, like, Jesus. Like, he's a big-name actor. Uh, What's the movie that I love? Sicario. He's incredible in Sicario. Also, of course, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy and Infinity War as the collector. But Laura Dern, The Last Jedi, I believe, was like two years before she won Best Supporting Actress for Marriage Story, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, like getting her in that role, I don't care for the character of Admiral Holdo whatsoever, but the talent of Laura Dern cannot be understated. Well, also, like, what if they just randomly threw the Jurassic Park theme song into, uh, you know, that role for her? I think it could have brought a really big epicness to that. I know that's silly, but I always think of, like, how funny would it be? Uh, did you see Free Guy ever? Not yet. I know it's on the list. So, so they bring in like themes from movies that they reference every now and again. And it's such an iconic thing. And it got me thinking like, what if Laura Dern had a Jurassic Park theme song randomly in the middle of her Star Wars show up? Like that could be really cool. That would be fun. Any other names on this list that stick out to you uh, in terms of Marvel, DC, Star Wars, anyone from DC? I know I didn't really put any on this list, but there's been some top talent. I mean, Michael Caine in the Dark Knight trilogy. That's not nothing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so so I'm looking at this list. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. I'm looking at this list specifically, though, and I'm, I'm noticing so many of these are one-offs, right? And I think that that's kind of the Marvel formula a little bit. You know, um, they bring in a huge name actor like Robert Redford to do a one-off and bring so much quality to a project. And then, you know, they don't have to pay him franchise money. But I think that is such the Marvel difference to bring in that big name actor to just sprinkle in a little bit of love there. Um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne in uh, uh, Man of Steel. I think it's really cool. Um, and and, or, uh, and in the Wasp. That, oh, yeah. 
forgot his name and lost too. You see, Lawrence Fishburne gets around, dude. That's good stuff. Um, but um, I, I like these big names. A lot of people kind of like hate on it a little bit, kind of. It's almost got a negative connotation. Oh, you're bringing in this big name actor for one role just so we can buy the tickets. Yeah, man, it's the name <laughs> of the game. Like, and, 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 and we talk about it. It brings so much quality to those movies and those roles. Kate Blanchett, I think, is an amazing example of a ridiculous comic book character in a very silly movie. But how dope did Kate Blanchett make Hella feel? You know what I mean? When she slicks back her hair and she's kicking ass, like, like that is an iconic moment for such a silly character. And I think that's what bringing in those big name actors does. Shout out Shazam Fury of the Gods for having Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu as the two main villains of the movie. Like those are legends in the game. Lucy Liu back on a popcorn movie. Come on, dude. Come that's on. Gonna be, that's going to be epic. And we don't have to wait too long for it because it comes out this December. The this one December. shining light <laughs> in the DC delays story. One other name I want to spotlight before we get into who we want to see make the leap into popcorn driven movies. Anthony Hopkins as Odin. Mm-hmm. People sleep on that so much and it's frustrating to me because he's freaking Hannibal Lecter in the MCU playing a god like what Thor's father is Anthony Hopkins we gloss over that way too much it it was lost on me when the first Thor came out because I was 11 you know oh this is fun oh cool oh is he the guy from uh Silence of the Lambs really cool thanks for letting me know nowadays I'm like wait what the hell they got Anthony Hopkins in the MCU Mm -hmm. I will say though We talked about them bringing awesome performances into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think it was definitely there in Thor 1, but you're not king. But you're not king yet. Thor Thor Dark World, you know, had less to play with because he wasn't as main of a focal point. And uh, I believe that's not the one where he went to sleep. That was the first one. That was the. It was very randomly the first one. (laughs) It was out of nowhere. Thor Thor Ragnarok, I think he kind of mailed it in. Oh, hello, goddess of death. It's your sister. Goodbye now. I'm dead. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you know, that that is a very clunky plot point to that movie as a whole, right? And, and, and as far as mailed it in, I think that he did Marvel a favor. You know what I mean? I think that's okay. You know, it, 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 it yes, it's a very clunky and weird part of that movie. No movie's perfect. This is why it's not a top five movie. It's more of a top 12 movie for me. But um, uh, we do need to shout out, you know, as much as that last little performance was a little weird, how about him playing Loki in Thor Ragnarok? That was wonderful. You know, he's throwing the grapes up in the air and catching up. Oh man, didn't know you were here. Like I love oh, that shit. kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. What a great oh shit by Tony Hopkins there in that movie. <laughs> it was awesome. I hope we get to see uh, a Hopkins uh, maybe one more time for a one-off in like a Secret Wars or something. But like still, uh, Odin as a, a role. Who? A voiceover in uh, yes. Love and Thunder. Mm-hmm. A voiceover in Love and Thunder would be pretty damn special that's a raven a raven shows up and we hear anthony hopkins voice <sighs> yeah i'm here for that very good me up well there's also a bunch of other top tier talent from hollywood a-listers of yesteryear that haven't migrated from their classic oscar bait movies into more of the marvel dc and star wars popcorn franchise driven blockbusters are there any names that aren't on this list that aren't in these universes already that you're dying to see eventually I got a couple here. Um, do, you, do you want to ping pong here? Or you just want me to kind of list off what I have? Uh, give me, give me a couple names and I'll, I'll probably get inspired. Um, I think it was Thor love and thunder. We got rumored to see Bast, uh, the Panther God in full form. 
um, in that movie. I think mm-hmm. I think either that or Wakanda Forever. I think seeing Boss at some point could be really cool. It should be Denzel Washington. Boss needs to be Denzel Washington. I think that's a pretty easy layup there. Um, over to the DC side. I do love how over the top DC villains tend to be your Lex Luthers of the world. Um, this is, I, I'm not going to laugh out of the room, just like my Kate McKinnon pick for Joker, but <laughs> Will Ferrell, I think has been itching to get that I'm a good actor thing going on. And I think having him in a big Warner Brothers Snyder type movie could really do that. And obviously he's going to bring a lot of comedic chops to it. And, you know, people want to laugh it off like, oh, Will Ferrell, he can't be a good actor. He's too funny. John C. Riley is one of the greatest actors of his generation. And he is very much exactly like Will Ferrell, just not as known for Saturday Night Live, really. It's just Saturday Night Live that they have differences with each other. Um, I I don't want to like typecast or whatever, but I think either in a Shang-Chi sequel or an Iron Fist movie, getting Jackie Chan in some sort of Marvel karate kung fu situation could be really special for a lot of people. Plus it's Jackie Chan. You know, that's a pop that you're never going to replicate again um, for all ages, you know, like little, the littlest, there was a Jackie Chan cartoon when I was a kid. Um, But like, you know, I think Jackie Chan could be cool. My last one, a Star Wars character, a one-off maybe empirical villain or maybe a Sith Lord or just somebody that needs charm and intensity. Robert Downey Jr. needs to be in Star Wars. Let's let's get him over there. Let's make it happen. <laughs> isn't don't correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that's a rumor? Uh, like the Kevin Feige Star Wars project that like RDJ, RDJ. had interest. I'm I'm not a hundred percent certain, and it, even if so, it was only ever a rumor. But man, a charismatic Downey would be an incredible Thrawn. He'd be a great Thrawn. I think that I think that you can. Uh, I, I I don't know exactly what specific character a Tarkin type role for Robert Downey Jr. I think could be really cool. I like it. Or like uh, it. who's the red who's the red haired guy from the sequels? Oh, Donald Gleason. Yeah, I think that kind of role, that imperial. I, I mean, obviously not like nervous and bitchy like that guy is, but <laughs> um, you know, get a charismatic imperial general with Robert Downey Jr. I'm here for. It. Yeah, I'm also here for it. Uh, the one name that always sticks out on my list, DiCaprio. I want to see Leo in one of these movies in some sort of role. And honestly, too, I know I just said Downey as Theron. I look at a lot of these like legendary actor roles as characters that probably don't really have that much lore in the comics. Like Christian Bale's playing Gore the God Butcher, which is cool, but no one knew who Gore the God Butcher was before he was announced as said character. DiCaprio in any of these franchises like I'd love to see him in Star Wars maybe in like I don't know like a a general role similar like I maybe dip his toes a little more on the dark side I loved what he did in Django Unchained so I think that could be pretty special but uh, selfishly I want to see him in a Marvel Studios project Uh, nothing really jumps off the page as to what franchise would be good for him per se other names, uh, just thinking off the dome here, that I would like to see make the jump. Joaquin Phoenix in in Marvel Studios. I know he was Joker, but like that's not exactly when when I think of like a DC popcorn driven movie. Joker is not that. You know that was an Oscar bait movie. He won an Oscar for it. The bait worked. Um, Joaquin Phoenix in some sort of uh, Marvel movie, especially considering considering he was initially the top rumored guy to play Dr. Strange. Like he was heavy in negotiations, but just didn't want to commit to a multi-picture deal. And 
given how big Benedict Cumberbatch's role is in the MCU. I get it because that probably wasn't like a five picture deal. That was probably like a eight or nine, even if it is for a couple scenes in some other movies. But yeah, DiCaprio will always be my number one. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to like, I'm looking at this list of actors that you've very well laid out here. And I'm trying to think of like the types of roles. Like you have your Jeff Goldblums who very much comedic relief in Ragnarok, but like looking back, can you picture anybody else but Jeff Goldblum playing? Uh, uh... Grandmaster. Grandmaster, thank you. I wanted to say the collector. Um, they're brothers in the comics. But um, can you see anybody else but Jeff Goldblum playing that role? You know what I mean? It fits so perfectly in that moment, but it was very much just a one-off kind of thing. A lot like um, Sylvester Sloan and Guardians. I don't think we're ever going to see him again. And and But like he played that kind of like scorned, badass rebel really well, I think. Um, it's just interesting to see where Leo would fit. I feel like he would have to he would have to fall more into the Robert Redford, uh, uh, Kate Blanchett vibe, where like he is a star of a movie and then he's out. Mm-hmm. Gorley Godbutcher probably would have been pretty good. <laughs> it probably would have been pretty good, and considering how well he molds himself into his roles, I mean, I'd love to see him as like Doctor Doom because I think that's a role he could sink his teeth into. But again, that is multi. Adam Driver would be sick. I'm very high on Daniel Craig. These days, I think he'd be sure, a really sure. cool Dr. Doom. You really can't go wrong with Dr. Doom in the MCU. Another role, one that I very inaccurately predicted very early on in the direct podcast, Al Pacino. Remember when I said he was going to show up as Mephisto? And I believe uh, John Ross Bradford, new host of Life's Thunder Action, by the way. Go check them out. Um, I believe he gave you a clown nose for it. He did give me a clown nose. On your was, own show. I, on I your was, own show. On my own show. I think it might have been his like one of his first appearances too. I was like, you know what? I I just I respect this so much. I'm just I'm gonna wear it. I'm gonna wear it. He uh, had a cloud nose in his hand. He did. <laughs> that was the genius of it. Pacino would be very fun in a Marvel role. Um, again though, that would have to be like we we'd want him to be committed, obviously. And like he, recently, and I believe it was was it was he in the Irishman? Pacino, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was all in on that, but like we've seen him in like that adam sandler movie where you know mailing it in and a top tier actor like him you'd want it to be a role that he would go all in for even if it is just a one-off performance so daredevil hardcore violence luke cage hardcore sexuality uh moon knight you know we just got word today they're going to get as pg-13 as they can with a combination of violence and horror stuff do you think the MCU getting more into that darker tone vibe will help attract some of these actors so it's not so popcorny on the surface? I think Moon Knight is going to be a huge bridge for that because Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac doing a Disney Plus show because Disney Plus, like say what you will, like they've proven themselves over the course of the past year, but it took Netflix a decade to establish themselves as, hey, we're not just doing cash grab movies like you can actually get nominated for an oscar for a movie that's exclusive to our streaming service shout out tick tick boom and andrew garfield so i think that there's a very good chance that oscar isaac and ethan hawk delivering this character study the first one that we've seen since iron man those are oscar isaac's words if this crushes i think it's going to open the floodgates for more actors like this to actually seriously enter negotiations for not just Marvel movies, but Marvel shows as well. And also, as you mentioned, we've talked about it on the Moon Knight Primer, projects like Blade, projects like Werewolf by Night, going more into the darker side of things. And when we talked about our Midnight Suns roster, Mahershala Ali, Oscar winner, 
Kit Harrington on the most popular show of the 2010s. Uh, beyond that, Oscar Isaac, one of the most acclaimed actors of his generation. Like the talent in that sector of the MCU alone is going to be enough to attract talent. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, and, and, and I think we're seeing that trend. Endgame obviously is not a fluff movie. Infinity War, not a fluff movie. The biggest cliffhanger since Friday Night Lights. You know what I mean? I think that I, dude, what's more sad? Perriman losing or Infinity War? I think it's a question that we should be asking. Um, but I think that, you know, I think Hollywood and these actors looked at Endgame and Infinity War and how massive they were as a result of these actors committing to these popcorn roles over and over. And the payoff was magnificent, not just for the studio, not just for the fans. Look at where these actors are going now. Robert Downey Jr. is in a Christopher Nolan movie. Chris Evans is one of the hottest names in Hollywood on a blockbuster standpoint. Like to go from Captain America to now you got a movie with Ryan Gosling. You know, you have an Apple TV show. You're Chris Evans. You know, you you are the Knives Out star outside of Daniel Craig. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you stole the show in certain scenes for a Knives Out movie that Daniel Craig was magnificent in. And you see the result of that. I think now we're trending more toward the Mahershalis, the Oscar Isaacs of the world, adapting to the idea of the MCU. I can, I can get my, uh, uh, what's the old uh, entourage uh thing it was six seasons I just, no well yes but um no uh do one for one for them three for you mm. you know what i mean uh i, I don't remember what actor toby mcguire somebody said it to toby mcguire and they put it in entourage you do one movie for the studio and then they do three for you and, and that's i think the model i think people are realizing more with um the marvel cinematic universe and then superhero universes as a whole you also got to think about the creators that they have who doesn't want to work with taco and tj right now you know especially after jojo rabbit where he was able to get oscar praise uh for something he did and then also you know your james guns your russos of the world i think the vibe is very much shifting toward big names being more a part of this oh yeah thor love and thunder doesn't get christian bale it doesn't get uh who's playing zeus remind me again russell crowe russell crowe matt damon (laughs) Like this movie does not get those actors if Taika Waititi is not directing it. So it goes a long way, not just the talent that goes into the movie, not just the name on the movie, but the reception of the movie and Mm -hmm. accolades mean a lot. Uh, You know, WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier getting nominated for Emmys and uh, obviously Black Panther getting nominated back in 2018. I believe there's still visual effects nominations up this year with both Spider-Man No Way Home and Shang-Chi, but you know, inching themselves more into those mainstream award categories, getting these award caliber talent invested into their movies. I think that there's a good chance that more names like this are going to follow. It's not even a good chance. It's a guarantee. Just a matter of which names follow. My pick will be DiCaprio. Matt, I love the Denzel pick. And I think that there is a pretty decent chance. And it's a lot to look forward to, not just in Marvel, but in DC and Star Wars as well. But we also have a lot of things to look forward to in the immediate future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A whole bunch of projects coming out in 2022. We kick things off next week with Moon Knight. This is our last chance to do it. Our most anticipated things of 2022 on the other side. 2022 is set to be a very populated year for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We kick things off next week 
with Moon Knight. That'll run for six weeks. And then we get Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness that same Friday as the Wednesday Moon Knight finale. And then we hop over to June 8th and we run Miss Marvel all the way up until Thor Love and Thunder. At some point in there, we're getting She-Hulk and then we're going to get Black Panther Wakanda Forever in November and also Werewolf by Night likely in October, that sort of Halloween special, What If Season 2, and then, and then, and then we're going to get some trailers for maybe Secret Invasion, early 2023. So much to look forward to, and it all kicks off next week with Moon Knight, but that got us thinking, what are our definitive most anticipated things of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in 2022? We're going to build a list, 10 things. Matt, we're going to go back and forth. I want to go to you first. What is the first entry, not necessarily number one overall, but the first entry on our list of our most anticipated things of 2022? Um, I'm going to go with the fun one first, you know, something a little lighthearted, something that isn't as like canonically serious to the MCU, the uh, James Gunn Christmas soundtrack. I cannot wait to see what James Gunn does with a Christmas playlist in the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. I'm expecting at least three awesome low-key Christmas songs that nobody realized were that great. And um, I just can't wait to see what he comes up with putting together a Christmas-themed Guardians project. Because, you know, if you love or hate James Gunn, I don't think there's any denying the vibes of his movies are always so fun. Nobody doesn't have fun watching those movies add a Christmas vibe into that think about how much Christmas added to Hawkeye just putting in those subtle Christmas tones throughout the show put that in a Guardian section I'm there for it what's your uh, number one Christmas song you need on this soundtrack wonderful Christmas time by Paul McCartney 1998 <sighs> simply having a wonderful Christmas time I think it's so perfectly vibed for Guardians what Christmas means to me by Stevie Wonder that's probably so my good. number one Candles burning low, lots of mistletoe. Oh my God. Sign me up. This is going to be a very fun soundtrack and not even just the Christmas special. I like what you said there about the soundtrack being the most anticipated thing because it's a sneaky Mm -hmm. one. So it's one not a lot of people are talking about, but I know it's one that a lot of people are going to be listening to for all of December later this year. My number one pick, we're going to go with something that's very just kind of akin to my character on this podcast, Atlantis, baby. I'm so freaking excited for Namor and the Atlanteans to be introduced in Black Panther Wakanda forever. And I'm stoked for uh, the the actor, Tinok Huerta, I believe. It's not confirmed that he's playing Namor, but he's very much hinting at it uh, on social media. I'm excited for him to have a killer prove it game. And for that Mm -hmm. Namor solo project, whether that be a series or a movie to be announced shortly after. But overall, the aesthetic of Atlantis, however that looks opposite Wakanda within Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, I think is going to be freaking awesome. And I'm excited Mm -hmm. to go underwater. And, you know, it's a whole new world that we have to explore. Is there any better world builder than Ryan Coogler in the MCU? You know what I mean? That's what he does. That's how he does it. Um, Moving on to my next one, I'm going to stick with Black Panther Wakanda Forever, also akin to my character here on the MCU. I just cannot wait to see what happens with the Black Panther mantle moving forward. Obviously, the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman has left things in a limbo, and we're all very um, excited to see not only how they move forward with the IP, but how they honor Chadwick Boseman in the process. And I just think back to 
um, all the actors and people involved with that film, how much they talked about the family environment for Black Panther when it came out and how much of a special experience it was for everybody on set. And, you know, I've been banging the drum for Shuri to be the next Black Panther in the MCU for over a year now. I think canonically, she's got the smarts, she's got the lineage, she's got the uh, charisma. Who didn't love Shuri in Black Panther? You know what I mean? Obviously, the off-screen issues have made it, uh, it's, it's a very popular thing to not like Letitia Wright right now for whatever reason that might be. Everyone loves Shuri. There's no, there's no denying that. She's a lovable character in the MCU. She's a kid. I love that. Um, but now that we've thought about it a little more, now that we're getting a little closer, we have Shuri, Nakia, uh, Winston Duke's character, and Baku. Um, you know, the, the candidates for Black Panther moving forward are all really awesome. I cannot wait to see how they flesh that out. Yeah, that mantle is going to be a big thing. Obviously, uh, we know from set photos that it's likely that T'Challa is going to pass away, maybe within the universe, per se. But either way, how they handle it is going to be so touching. And my my side of that coin is you're talking about how awesome it's going to be to see who gets it. I'm excited to see how it starts out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. how what it, what does that journey look like? Because this is a movie that has likely been rewritten twice now and at least twice yeah and and that's not uh, to a fault or that's not to lower my anticipation but it does up my intrigue of it's being rewritten to work around this idea of who will wield the shields who will wield mm -hmm. the black panther mantle. yeah and and i think uh just to kind of bounce off that a little bit with my shuri want for her i think that the brother sister dynamic or the sibling dynamic in these types of movies is always really hard to nail down. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's something, if you have siblings, you know that the chemistry between you is always so organic and unique. You know, you, it's hard to manufacture. I think Chadwick and Letitia Wright had such great chemistry together on screen that if they play into that with the passing of T'Challa in this movie, to see how Shuri's dealing with that on an emotional level can really just endear her to everybody all over again. I do want to see how Shuri reacts to however they handle the T'Challa situation. I want to see how all these characters react. It's going to be an emotional movie for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a great pick. Uh, the Black Panther mantle, one of the biggest what-ifs, not what-ifs, the biggest questions in the MCU mm. currently. My next entry onto our list is a big one. Uh, I don't even know if we're going to get it this year, but patterns seem to indicate we likely would. Uh, whatever phase four part two or whatever phase five is. I do think we're going to get a lineup of sorts, whether that be at San Diego Comic-Con or D23, or maybe just a one-off random Marvel Studios announcement like they did with phase three way back in October, 2014. Uh, the reason why I say patterns indicate is because in October, 2013, 2014, excuse me, we got the announcement of movies from 2016 to 2019. And we already knew that Age of Ultron was in May and Ant-Man was in July. And then we did get San Diego Comic-Con uh, July 2019. And we knew at the time <laughs> that Black Widow was May 2020. And that was about it in terms of films. Or Eternals was November 2020. We knew those two. So we know going into 2023, Ant-Man Quantumania, The Marvels. Is that it? And then the Marvels. Let me look. I got the list right here. Uh, Guardians 3. Guardians, Guardians 3. 3. So we know those three are set in stone, but it would shock me if they waited until middle of 2023 to announce 2024. 
considering yeah. production schedules are already going to be ramping up. So I do think we're going to get some 2024 and 2025 announcements and whether or not they classify that as phase four continued or phase five remains to be seen. But I guess I'll just kind of call this whatever Marvel's future announcement is. Mar the Marvel's yeah. San Diego Comic-Con presence, Marvel's D23 presence, uh -huh. what have you. I, I, I think, you know, obviously it's shoehorning a little bit. I think if you're going to put this on a list, just put the Phase 5 announcement. You know what I mean? Because I think I think that's what we're all clamoring for, right? You know, when's the end and when's the next one? It's going to be so interesting. Remember back in the day, Love and Thunder was supposed to be the last movie of Phase 4? Yeah. Yeah, like it was, it was the very last one on the slate back yeah. way back when at the 2019 thing when I got my knee surgery. Um, so yeah, that's a great one. I think D23 could just be uh, uh, on this list every year, every year forever. Um, but uh, that's it's a great one. Yeah, sure. Um, my next pick, um, it's going to be vague, but it's the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness post-credit scene, whatever that is, whatever it might be. I think that we have obviously been ramping up to this project for a year now with WandaVision, Loki, What If, Spider-Man No Way Home. Like, I think you could argue those are four projects preluding Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. It's obviously the central point of the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now. I can't wait to see what happens within the movie. I can't wait to see where our characters land at the end when his credits start rolling. But the post credit scene, I think, is going to be where we see the next branch of those characters. And I'm looking not at Dr. Strange, not at Wanda Maximoff. I'm looking at Professor X. I'm looking at America Chavez. I'm looking at a potential Loki. I'm looking at whoever shows up in this movie that's going to get the spinoff. Who's going to be the Dane Whitman of Multiverse of Madness where the post credit scene launches a whole new branch of theories and what's going on. I can't wait to see what it is. I hope it's X-Men. And um, Liam, I'm going to be insufferable when X-Men start really getting into the picture of the MCU. I really am. <laughs> Well, I mean, we're going to have draft ideas for days, features, yeah. lists, discourse. Forever. Literally, we can do an Love entire X-Men podcast when the uh, MCU introduces the mutants. I, I do love the pick because it's a post-credit scene that I, I don't know if it's going to live up to the hype because let's be real, No Way Home did not live up to the hype. We speculated like crazy about what they could be. It's and true. one was a Venom bow tie, kind of. And the other was a trailer, one something that we haven't seen since Cap first Avenger when the Avengers trailer played after that. And very different scenario. But I, I like, I don't know. I, I'm excited for it. Don't get me wrong, but my expectations are a little bit lower after No Way Home. I think that the execution of the No Way Home post credit scenes, let's take out the trailer because I don't think any of us expect an actual trailer at the end. Um, well, as much as I love the trailer, I did kind of want a scene, right? Mm -hmm. Um the the venom scene though as much as you know we hate tom hardy obviously it was goofy i think that was his best performance as eddie brock um by far in that post-credit scene and also danny rojas um yeah. but on paper liam symbiote in the mcu that's a pretty significant post-credit scene you know what i mean like i know i know the execution of it let you down but I'm, I'm, I'm more so just talking about the implications of whatever this post-credit scene is going to be. I'm excited for whatever the next thread of this multiverse saga is going to end up being. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. I think that's very fair. Um, and whatever it does sprout into, obviously the multiverse being the thing right now in the MCU, the Infinity Stones essentially of phase four and five and six moving forward, it's going to be pretty consequential. So yeah, mm -hmm. multiverse of madness, 
even after the credits roll, still going to be a highly contested project. My next entry, we're going to go with another character. We're giving a lot of shine to Black Panther Wakanda forever on this list, but man, is that movie going to just be chock full of big things. I'm excited for Ironheart, man. I'm stoked to see what the Iron Man legacy looks like moving forward after Endgame. And, you know, there's rumors that she might be suited up in this yeah. movie, which I, I don't know how I feel about. Um, but at the same time, you know, can't judge it till I see it. If the execution works, then who cares? Especially if it's a Mark One-esque suit. If it's scraps thrown together, that could be dope. And the fact that Ironheart, you know, Boston, let's go. is going to be fun. There's your Dane Whitman for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. The post-credit candidate, I think the favorite for a post-credit scene in Wakanda Forever is Riri Williams as Ironheart. You know what I mean? That's the kind of stuff I love seeing. I can't wait to see it. Man, how cool would it be if we just cut to her in a garage somewhere and we hear Repulsor? <laughs> just that, like, off, like off screen, we hear Repulsor. Oh, can't wait. So exciting. Um, how many do I have? Three? Yeah, three left. Or two, two left. I have three. Two left. Okay, thank you. Um, my next one is going to be simply more Korg. I want more of one of my favorite funny characters in the MCU. We talk about our Jimmy Woos. We talk about our Luises from Ant-Man. We talk about Darcy and all of these amazing comedic relief characters. Korg, I think, is among the best of them. And also Taika Waititi, I think, is just an amazing presence on screen, even with just his voice. I'm excited for more Korg in the MCU because I've never not liked him. He's got the one of the best voices in the MCU. I believe he was Hands down. What was the first-round pick in our best voices draft. I don't remember, but he should be if he's not. Had to have been. Korg is going to be fun, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he plays off Thor moving forward now that they're, you know, boys. You know, like, they have the, <laughs> the, the end game stuff to build off of, and, yeah, yeah it, it's going to be fun to see Korg. My next entry, thinking a little bit out loud here, I'm going to go with the She-Hulk one. We're going to put some shine on She-Hulk wherever – Bruce Banner ends up at the end of this show. There's a lot of rumors that it could sprout into something bigger. And obviously based on the Shang-Chi post credit scene, our original six are in such a weird state. Downey's done. Johansson's done. Chris Evans is old and likely not coming back. We don't know. We have that two picture extension from January, 2021. Who knows if that's ever going to blossom into anything, but Renner seems to be there for the foreseeable future. Hemsworth's status will be confirmed in July. Ruffalo, based on Shang-Chi's post-credit scene, it looks like he's kind of the new Nick Fury within the Avengers, of he's taking a more laid-back role but might be recruiting a little bit. Wherever he ends up in She-Hulk, I don't ever think we're going to see a major character die on a streaming service, per se. Shout-out, Battlestar. Um, but I do think whatever ends up going on with Bruce Banner is going to be pretty consequential for the future. Battlestar. Right. Fucking star, dude. I totally forgot about Battle Star. What a great plot thread there. You know what I mean? Mm. Right after roided out John Walker. Um, that's a great pick. I just I am excited for She-Hulk just overall. Just this the Hulk brand getting more of an MCU treatment because uh Bruce Banner Incredible Hulk, his origin story, the Edward Norton movie, it wasn't a traditional MCU origin story where they take one small element of the character and expand on it in a cinematic way. I'm excited to kind of hopefully get that with Jennifer Walters and let the green brand really shine in the MCU. Um, my last pick, you ready? Oh yeah. A trailer for the Marvels. I can't wait. I think it's going to come at the very end of the year. The Marvels comes out February, 2023. Mm -hmm. 
we're going to get a trailer right in December, right in that sweet spot, that Star Wars zone of the year. We're going to get at the Marvels trailer. And there's so many reasons I'm excited for the Marvels. One, Kamala Khan, I think, is going to surprise a lot of people with how much we end up loving her. Two, uh, Tiana Paris as, um, oh, wow, uh, Monica Rambeau, I think is just an incredible character that people sleep on all the time because she was so out of nowhere in WandaVision with how great she was. Wait, the little kid from Captain Marvel is going to be in WandaVision? How's that going to work out? It's going to work out great. And it did. And I love it. And then also, I'm excited to just get more Carol Danvers because she came at a time in the MCU where she was set up. She she walked into the box with two strikes, being a month and a half before Infinity War, being an out of nowhere prequel right before the biggest movie of all time, uh, Endgame, I should say, and all these different things. The, the boxes were stacked against her. I think she shined in Endgame. You know, hey, Peter Parker, what an awesome line, and all those different things. I just, I'm excited for more Carol Danvers. I think this trailer is going to get that hype going a little bit for somebody who is you know, like her or not, she is going to be a staple of the MCU. We need to let her get that Winter Soldier Ragnarok treatment where a character really progresses from one project to another. Nothing against First Avenger, nothing against Dark World. But I think we can all agree that Cap and Winter Soldier and Cap and First Avenger, what a big improvement between those two projects. Same with Dark World and Ragnarok. I think we're going to get that with Carol Danvers. And I think the trailer is going to, going to be the beginning of that. I got a follow-up question for you, though. Uh, where does Secret Invasion fall in this? That's a great question. The um, reason why I ask though is because it's actively filming right now. And I've always wondered, does this show need to come out before the Marvels? Because if so, there's a very nice, I believe it's February 17th that the Marvels comes out, which gives mm -hmm. an exact six weeks at the beginning of January up until, you know, the Marvels. So if that's the case, are we looking at a Spider-Man Far From Home trailer situation where they have to masquerade all the Tony Stark stuff because Endgame hasn't come out yet, where they have to masquerade all the Secret Invasion Fallout because it hasn't started streaming yet? I don't know. That's a really great question. Secret Invasion is kind of one of the mystery projects of the MCU right now, right? Because, you know, for so long, we all just kind of assumed it was going to come out in 2022. Now it's definitely not coming out in 2022, um, especially with Werewolf by Night and She-Hawk at the end of the year. Um, and what if season two reportedly coming out this year as well? Something completely different that we're not talking about. But um, that's a good question that I don't know the answer to. But um, we should dive into that at a later date for sure. Yeah. It's also like we're definitely like I would be shocked if we don't get a Marvel's trailer this year because we're talking about what? Yeah. If, if it comes out on January 1st, that's a teaser trailer 50 days before this thing hits theaters. Like that would shatter the promotional window record. And yeah, we're definitely getting a trailer probably around thanksgiving a uh, couple weeks before christmas and what it has to do with secret invasion remains to be seen uh, my final entry on this list one that i know we've we always like to look towards the future and i'm guilty of it with all my black panther entries onto this anticipated list we also got to look to what's coming in the immediate weeks ahead and that is overall moon knight's character study i'm stoked for this project it is my most anticipated series of 2022 and it's easy to forget that excitement is there because it's so close now. But man, is this going to be fun. And all the quotes I keep seeing from Oscar Isaac, uh, from Mohamed Diab, the director, about this being a true character study about us going back down to the psyche of one person and not having to worry about the larger consequences within this larger universe. I love that Kevin Feige is saying, well, hey, 
you know, he'll, he'll interact eventually, but right now this is very much a, a contained story. I love that because obviously we're excited to see Oscar Isaac play opposite, you know, who knows Anthony Mackie in the future, uh, Mahershala Ali. But for now, like let's let Oscar Isaac eat a little bit. And I think they're approaching this series as they really should. Moon Knight's character study is my last entry. You know what excites me the most about those quotes about how much this is a character study? I think throughout look the Disney Plus series that we got in 2021, Wanda, Vision, Sam, Bucky, Loki, Sylvie, Kate, Clint. I love the character studies we got with those guys. Yes, we had to deal with some other MCU stuff, and it wasn't like a true just a character study. But I think we got to learn so much about those characters in Disney Plus shows that weren't considered hardcore character studies. I can't imagine how much we're going to learn about Moon Knight in this series alone. I can't wait just to see how they develop an origin story on a six-episode format. The MCU has done origin stories in a beautiful way, in my opinion. And, you know, to see them always keeping the ball moving, keeping, you know, keeping progress in mind, I can't, just can't wait to see how they use this format to introduce us to the next player on the team. It's going to be fun, and it all kicks off next week. Moon Knight reviews every single Wednesday for the next six Wednesdays on the direct podcast to recap our most anticipated mcu list of 2022 we got the guardians of the galaxy holiday soundtrack atlantis within black panther wakanda forever the black panther mantle itself a hopeful phase five announcement whatever the multiverse of madness post credit scene is Ironheart's introduction in Black Panther 2, more Korg in Thor Love and Thunder, the future of Bruce Banner leaving She-Hulk, the Marvel's trailer, and finally, the character study of Disney Plus's Moon Knight. What are you most excited for? Yes, you, the listener, I'm talking to you directly. Let us know on social media. Hit us up at Liam T. Crowley, at Matt Remke, R-O-E-M-B as in boy K-E, and we want to hear what we missed on this list. What other aspects of the MCU in this new calendar year are we looking forward to let us know on socials and we'll check it out that was a scheduling update that's a quick question that's a sizzle reel that's a discourse that's a list and that's an episode episode 82 of the direct podcast in the can in your ears live right now but before we get out of here we just gave so much shine to the universes we love marvel dc star wars what have you but we also have interests outside of the worlds of the wonderful matt what is your weekly recommendation for the people this week i got a movie i got a netflix original movie um, it's a movie called Windfall on Netflix. Me and Aaron randomly stumbled upon it yesterday. It's an hour and 27 minutes. You get in, you get out. It's a good time. It is very much one of those Quentin Tarantino-like indie movies where um, the best way I can describe this, I guess, the opening scene of the movie is just one shot standing still on a camera and the credits just pop over in giant yellow text for like five minutes. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, score music the whole time. So it's very much an indie movie. Basically the idea is uh, a guy robs a house and then it's about the, the couple shows up while he's robbing it and they have to negotiate how to get out of that. And it's, it's just an awesome movie. Here's who's in it. Lily Collins from Emily in Paris. Have you uh, seen her at all? I'm familiar with Lily Collins, but not Emily in Paris. So Lily Collins, um, I only know her from Emily in Paris. It's a show uh, Aaron watches. She's adorable. She's charming. I love her. Jesse Plemons, you know who that is? Not Matt Damon. Breaking Bad. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Not Matt Damon. I think he's fantastic in it as well. And Jason Segel. 
the main character. It is truly awesome, this movie. Truly awesome. It's just those three actors being actors for an hour and 27 minutes. It's wonderful. I would check it out. Windfall on Netflix. Marshall versus the machine. Incredible. Aaron, oh, hold up. Hold up. How many other reference right now? Aaron no. experienced banging the bang yesterday. Oh, uh, incredible. First time ever. She I love started that. the. She started the episode was like, is that Jennifer Lopez? I'm like, oh, you're in for a treat. <laughs> you're in for a treat. On your super day. <laughs> on my on my third rewatch of How I Met Your Mother uh, now, and uh, we just got to the Barney uh, Barney's dad episode. People gloss oh, over yeah. way too much that John Lithgow John is Lithgow. in this, this, sick, this sitcom. Like, the amount of talent How I Met Your Mother was able to get insane. So that's what Aaron was talking about yesterday because the episode before the JLo episode was the Carrie Underwood episode with the pharmaceutical reps and the teacup pick. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and we were just watching Shrek not too long ago and Aaron said something about how much she loves uh, John Lithgow, the guy who obviously plays Lord Farquaad. And I know we're about to get to John Lithgow in How I Met Your Mother. I can't wait for it to happen. It's just so fun. And also one of the most emotional episodes, man. Does that one? Oh, Imagine great. Daddy? Oh. Hits you right in the heart. My recommendation for the people this week, also a music recommendation or, or music recommendation that I seem to do every single week. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly dropping a new album today. Time of recording. Time of recording in two days. Time of listening. It'll be out today. It's called Mainstream Sellout. And the two uh, pre-releases I was a big fan of. I know it's the cool thing nowadays to hate Machine Gun Kelly. I see it all over social media that you know he switched genres successfully Tickets to My Downfall was one of the most successful albums of fall of 2020. It carried out throughout the charts for all of 2021. And now that he's kind of embracing the pop punk lifestyle a little bit, there's some pushback. And it's reminding me of Weekend when Weekend dropped Starboy and the chorus of Starboy. Look what you done. I'm a Starboy. Like, of course, like you, you praised this genre. Of course, I'm going to embrace it. Now there's a little pushback. I don't get it. I like good music and I think Machine Gun Kelly makes good music and 16 tracks whole bunch of features bring me the horizon on maybe was fantastic i can't wait to see what he does with um what's his name ian dior one of my favorite artists uh going today check him out as well if you haven't but mainstream sellout this friday i think it's gonna be fun and i'm looking forward to giving it a binge listen and it'll probably end up in my top 10 on apple music replay at the end of this year along with that guardians of the galaxy holiday soundtrack which will be out in december of 2022 for now though that's the direct podcast episode 82 thank you all so so much for tuning in make sure to enjoy your weekend get ready for moon night pre-show happening on twitter spaces this upcoming tuesday march 29th at 8 p.m eastern standard time we'll hopefully see you there and we'll also see you next wednesday for the weekly episode first ever moon night review we're gonna be busy and i can't That it's okay. Sick of all the shit you throw in my face. Using that look to control me. Knowing that I'll listen cause I'm lonely. I open my eyes and I'm feeling like death. All the fucking lies hanging over my head. Every time I look at you, I only see red. Some things I like to forget.
it, this is the one too. Apparently, the show is heavily based off of. Sweet. Um, I saw a tweet about that. Wait, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna read some of it tonight. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. After I do my first Peloton workout. Let's go. Okay. My my building got three Pelotons downstairs. We just got our shoes in today. That's hype. What's yeah, your What's your exciting. go-to Peloton song? Do you know yet? No idea. I've never done it ever. Okay. Um. Every time to we touch song? Cascada, you'll like it. I, n- I never heard it. How does it go? Because every time we touch, touch, I get, I get the feeling. Yeah, yeah. Come on, man. It, that's that's the jam. That's yeah. the uh, it's the middle school dance jam. <laughs> That's Duke's rallying cry too. They love that song. It's the shit. It's awesome because my favorite thing when Duke does it is they do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Every time we touch, I get. The... Yeah, it's badass. All right, you ready to rock? 